1: From the PacWest Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth.
0: I don't know if you needed some Little League Baseball World Series in your life, but I sure did. I didn't know I needed it, but I found out today that I did. I don't know if you have seen the scene that came out of the Southwest Regional Championship game today between Texas East and Oklahoma, but man, did it deliver. I wrote about it this afternoon at johnconzano.com, so forgive me if you're a subscriber and you already got it in your email inbox, but man, i got to start today's show with this. i got to throw away everything I was going to do, and I need to start with this because I think it's more important than anything else that's going on. Now, consider that we're in a summer in our sports world. That has given us LIV golf, the defection of UCLA and USC to the Big Ten, Kevin Durant signing a $198 million extension and then promptly demanding a trade, Tradition and geography, they, they don't matter. College conferences are drunk, chasing revenue. Sports has turned into a money grab. Transfer portal, name image likeness, And I wonder if we're ever going to be able to tell the difference between amateur sports and professional sports again. Deshaun Watson. Think about that. The NFL's biggest offseason story involved a quarterback accused of sexual assault by more than two dozen women being awarded a $230 million contract by the Cleveland Browns. Think about what we have seen just in the last year in sports. Like, I didn't like some of the scene that I saw at the beginning of that Little League Baseball World Series clip. But if you haven't seen it, it is on my Twitter feed. It is on uh, johnconzano.com if you want to watch the whole video of it. But essentially, this is what happened. You're watching a Little League game. It's the Southwest Regional Championship game. Texas East is playing Oklahoma. Caden Shelton of Texas is on the mound. At the plate is Isaiah Jarvis of Oklahoma. The count is 0-2. There's two runners on. It's a 3-2 game. And keep in mind, only one of these two teams is going to advance to Williamsport, Pennsylvania to participate in the Little League World Series. It's a big deal. Ten American teams make it. And only one of these two teams is going to get there. The stakes are sky high. So Shelton of Texas is on the mound. Jarvis is at the plate. The count is 0-2. And And Shelton's 0-2 pitch gets away from him. He ends up hitting Jarvis in the left ear flap on his helmet. I mean, it knocked his helmet off him. It's scary. It knocks him to the ground. The scene is stunning. The bases will now be loaded. And Jarvis eventually, uh, you know, the umpire stands over him. His coach comes over. He eventually shakes it off and gets down to first base. Once he's there, and he's 12 years old, mind you, once he's at first base, he realizes that the pitcher, Shelton, is still standing beside the mound his head is down he's distraught he's rattled he's struggling to compose himself and Jarvis who's at first base again 12 year old at first base I gotta give a fist bump to his parents right now right up front high five you did something right because he's at first base and he's not jumping around clapping his hands he's not taunting the pitcher he didn't charge the mound and go what did you throw at me There's a code to uphold here. No, no, no. He's standing at first base, and he's trying to get the pitcher's attention. He yells, hey, hey. Pitcher isn't looking over because the pitcher is sitting there, head down, upset at the scene. He's just hit a kid in the head. The bases are going to be loaded. And the, the, the batter at first base or the base runner at first base decides to do the most amazing thing, something we have not seen enough of in professional and college sports this summer let alone this last year, he decided to do something classy, something laced with empathy and compassion. It was a very human moment. Sports used to give us these moments all the time. Lately, sports has been giving us, hey, uh, it's an ATM, it's everybody for themselves. Uh, hey, uh, you know, if you're, if you're not with the haves, you're a have-not. Uh, uh, you know, you know, we've seen a bunch of batters in, in baseball charging the mound, a bunch of pitchers fighting, the dugouts, benches clearing. But you know Jarvis at first base, he decides he can't get the pitcher's attention. He walks off first base. He leaves his position. And to the umpire's credit, like nobody calls him out for leaving his position. Everybody's kind of stunned at what is happening. And Jarvis walks over to the pitcher, Sheldon at the mound, and he does the most remarkable thing. He hugs the kid, puts his arms around him, says, it's okay. And he says, hey, you're doing just great. Gives him some encouragement. Now, I've spent a lot of time in the last few months growing disillusioned with sports. I mention all those things from LIV golf to the Big Ten to UCLA to Kevin Durant and to Sean Watson, and I'm watching the NBA position itself for a $75 billion TV deal, and I'm Watching just sports lose its way. And in the end, like, I didn't like seeing this kid get hit in the helmet by a pitch. Like, I held my breath when I saw the video. I was like, oh, is he okay? I'm glad he wasn't seriously injured. But then I watched him walk to first base and do something the rest of sports hasn't done for me all summer. It lifted me up. My eyes watered. And I needed it we got a great show for you today. We're going to talk all about the business of sports, but I want to start with the inspiring moments that sports brings us. When's the last time you were truly moved by a sports scene? You can, if you want to talk about the Little Leaguer today, great. If you want to talk about something else, give me another example of an occasion in your sports lifetime where you have been lifted up by what you have seen on the field, on the court, on television, in person. Something you've seen where you went, gosh, only sports can do that for me. Or sports did that for me today. Because too often, it's in this show... Like, I always try to say, like, we're going to insulate you. I don't, you know, people aren't coming to this radio show because they want to hear about the, the bad things that are going on in the world and sports and, you know. But I felt like lately the world of sports has felt too much like the life that we're all trying to escape. Bad bosses, bad jobs, neighbors, taxes, death, illnesses. Like, sports has just become a slog this summer. And, you know, I don't think it's good. Like, I'm hopeful that college athletics finds its way back to being college athletics. It it seems to want to fashion itself as the NFL right now. This TV deal that the Big Ten is cutting is case in point, exhibit A. Uh, you know, UCLA and USC, they're going to ask their athletes to schlep across the country and go play a bunch of games against Big Ten teams at Rutgers and, and Northwestern and Illinois and Purdue and... You know, I, at, for at, for what cost? I mean, the money that you're getting in this TV deal with the Big Ten, I guess. I just feel like we needed this shot in the arm. 503-417-7575. Tell me about sports and an occasion in which it has lifted you up. Maybe it's Damian Lillard hitting that 37-foot game winner uh, all those years ago against Oklahoma City that, you know, essentially broke uh, a, a record for the Blazers. Uh, you know, essentially a trend for the Blazers of not getting out of the first round. It lifted up an entire city. I remember at the time it was just so remarkable to see. You know, the uh, you know the the Blazers. You know, end up in a situation where they were walking somebody off the court. Like literally, that was a shot that lifted everybody. Lillard now front against George. Five seconds. George backing
2: up. Lillard doesn't want to pick. Dane going for the win. A three-pointer for the game.
0: Yeah! He walked it off. Remember that? That lifted a city up. It lifted a fan base up. How about, you know, how about the uh the Atlanta Braves in the World Series? Like literally. Braves, you know, battling it, you know, as a team that won only 88 games. Here's here's the NLCS. Bring in
1: Ozuna. Here's the guy the Braves got to get
2: going. He is. Monster year this year. That is a blast. Way out of here. This ball game is tied. And a couple of stops
0: along the way around the bases for Marcelo Ozuna. How about the Super Bowl? Rams walking off winners. Akers in the backfield, and the quarterback,
2: Stafford, is under center. The 15th play of this drive coming up, down by four. Stafford, receiver's in tight. He gets the snap, he cuts his arm, he throws a pass, caught with the leap, belt high, far side of the end zone, touchdown cup! The Rams have taken the lead! The Rams have taken the lead! One twenty-five
0: to go! Heavily covered... Cup left and trapped the ball against his belt buckle. The other day we played great broadcast clips from broadcasters that you grew up listening to and and I was struck as I left that show that maybe part of why I wanted to do that segment was because sports has become such a slog lately that we're not getting enough of what sports is supposed to do for us.
1: And John Wetland one more time said, and here comes the 2-2 pitch to Edgar Martinez. Now the fastball swung on left the deep center field. Bernie Williams goes
2: back, and it is! Get out the run! 503-417-7575.
0: 503-417-7575. Tell me about an occasion in which sports has lifted you up. You got the BFT statewide.
1: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750, The Game.
0: Sports is supposed to be an escape. Thank you to the Little Leaguers for reminding us that. Pro athletes, college athletes, college programs, conferences, LIV, golf. Sick of it. Paul's on I-5 heading north. I want to hear from you as well at 503-417-7575. Paul, go ahead. Tell us about sports and something that lifted
3: you up.
4: Well, John, I got two not-too-recent uh, examples from our very own Portland Trailblazers. I think the first one that's inspirational and probably one of the most incredible games I, I've been to was when Brandon Lloyd did his fourth gump impression, got rid of the crutches, got rid of the wheelchair, <laughs> came off the bench in that fourth quarter against Mavericks, the Dallas Mavericks, in that playoff game and dropped like 20 points and willed them back to win. That was electric very inspirational
0: yeah i remember that uh brian wheeler was and going it, nuts on that call
4: it to be in the arena it was it was so electric goosebumps it, it was such a a neat event to be at and then the other one that fortunately i was out was when kindness uh when Maurice Cheeks helped that young girl out who forgot the lyrics to the national anthem um again he went out of his way to to be kind and we need more of that, just as uh, the little leaguers are demonstrating today.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. I think, you know, empathy, kindness, sportsmanship. I mean, look, I don't want to get hokey here, but i got to be honest with you. Like, there are just some moments that sports give to us, gives to us every once in a while where we go, you know what, like, uh, that's what sports is supposed to do. That's what it's supposed to be about. Um, I remember Brandon Roy who, you know, everybody was talking about him being over and done. And, you know, there was that moment in that playoff series where it didn't look like he had even the ability to play. And the caller's right. Like, he not only played. I remember when, hell, I remember when he checked into the series. I think it was in 2010 against the Phoenix Suns. He just checked into the game, and it was like a miracle that he could be on the court so soon after his surgery. It was, a, it was a remarkable moment, and I, we just haven't had that enough. Like, sports does this for us, but it just hasn't been enough. And Alvin Gentry, with his hands folded, is going to get an earful
2: now. Let's listen to the reception for Brandon Roy.
0: Thunderus would be probably doing it a disservice. Remember Roy checking into that game, and as it turns out, he still had it. Brandon's open, three-pointer near side, ring it up!
2: Roy dribbling left, pulls up with an elbow jumper right through. He hits the first of his attempts on this evening. Roy hits the first of two. Roy hits a pair. Brandon with eight. Brandon drives into a crowd, down the lane, put it in, and it's fouled! And Roy converts, he's 4-4 from the line. Roy against Hill, the left elbow pull-up right through. 13 points, Roy takes the jumper over Barnes and Candon. Roy Brandon is just in another zone zone right now 15 points Roy streaking in on Nash and he lays it in Roy with 17 Brandon ducks it Roy hit the first free throw, Roy hits another free throw, Roy hits a pair, now he's back at the line for two more, Roy hits a pair, now to Roy, three-pointer out of the key, count it, Roy up to 28 points now, Roy, left baseline, lean and shot, got another one, boy Brandon Roy right now is in another zone, it's his fourth 30-point game in the last five outings, three-pointer under, duress, and he hit it, oh the natural reigns in a three, with two hands in his face, Brandon to the hoop, lays it in, and it's ball, Brandon, do it! Do it! Do it till you're satisfied! And Roy connects on the three-point play. 36-point crowd chanting MVP, and why not? Roy connects on a pair. 38 points. He hits the first free throw.
0: 40 points with the second. Pulls up a three-pointer. Got it! I'm, I'm just telling you that those moments, there are moments that sports gives you that give you chills I got to thank the Little Leaguers for providing it today. I hope the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball and college sports get their act together, but I don't uh, I don't have a lot of faith given what we've seen this summer. Steven and Sean, you're back in studio.
3: Uh that Little League scene was pretty cool. Ooh, well, and listen to those Brandon Roy highlights actually gave me goosebumps a little bit cuz <laughs> Brandon Roy was my guy. Like I he was my favorite player of all time when I was playing in college. Like that's when he was just killing it for the Blazers. So, yeah, I mean, I remember that moment. Uh, like it was yesterday. But, yeah, I mean, the Little is today, man, and, and that's my initial thought when I was thinking about this is just with my kid growing up, he's seven years old, he's starting to get into sports just like the, what's I don't know the word I'm looking for, but just the innocence, the innocence that yes. they have playing sports and that if they're doing it for the love of the game. They're just learning. They're hanging out with their friends. Like, that is what really gets me, and I get excited about that, just watching when my son plays soccer or he plays basketball, and he comes home and he talks about the game. He's like, oh, it was so much fun. And, and that's a good reminder that sports are supposed to be fun. And as as a fan, it can be not fun when your team's not very good, but it was good to see that on a day where, uh, you know, a slow sports day, you see something good about it, you're like, you know what? It gives me something positive to think about uh, for the week and hopefully for the next sports seasons.
0: Yeah, I loved watching that. And you're right about Brandon Roy. I can remember when he even walked back in as, you know, he, he had left the Blazers organization and he walked back into the arena just to watch a game and sit courtside. I happened to be there. And when he walked back in, he got a standing ovation. He and his wife walked in, and they just took a seat. And I, it hit me, like, in a way that, as a journalist, I hadn't felt anything like that in a long time. I got glassy-eyed yeah. kind of
3: watching him. I mean, just going through some of these moments, because that's one of the biggest what-ifs in Blazer history, right? I mean, I, you were talking about what brought me mm-hmm. up as an emotional thing with the Blazers. One of the first things I wrote, I just wrote down a few things. One was when the Blazers won the lottery and they got great. They're going to get Greg Oden. That threesome of Oden, Aldridge, and Roy. There were people I remember on ESPN saying, "This is not a one championship. This is a multiple championship dynasty that's going to happen." And the whole town was so psyched for it and so hyped. And then unfortunately injuries happened. And so I think it's just one of those what ifs of what if these guys would have stayed healthy? How good would the Blazers be? What would the franchise be right now? Right? And so you know, just listening to that Brandon Roy and all the unfortunate things that happened to him, you know, it just it's good to relive those moments.
0: Sean, as you think about moments in sports that have lifted you up, what comes to mind? He is on the phone right now. Ah, oh, he's taking calls. He's taking well, calls. Let's, let's go to the phone lines and uh more significantly. Yeah, the Brandon Roy stuff is really cool. But let's uh, let's get to the phone lines. Is he chatting on uh, line one? Is that what Sean is doing here? Yeah, tell he is me, doing that. Tell him to put that that caller on hold. We want to get to the caller. But uh, the the big thing too for me is I know why I'm drawn to sports. I'm not drawn to sports because uh, I enjoy talking about television contracts. I'm not drawn to sports because I enjoy hearing about players who have a you know a two hundred million dollar deal and they're not happy. I'm not drawn to sports for the, the bench-clearing brawls. Uh, I'm not drawn to sports for the controversy. Uh, I'm not drawn to sports to see the Big Ten and the SEC uh, try to monopolize and change college athletics. I'm not drawn to sports because of uh, Fox Sports and, and ESPN and CBS and NBC. I'm drawn to sports because it gives you those moments every once in a while that make the hair in the back of your neck stand well, up. Or your <laughs> arms.
3: There's something about sports that just brings a different type of happiness, right? Like, yes. It's just like when you gamble, money won is better than money earned. Like sports is the same thing. You can be happy about, you know, you have a good day at work, you have a good family, whatever it is. But when you're cheering for a team, your team does well. Like it's a different feeling.
0: Let's go to the phone line. Sid's in Newport. Sid, welcome to the show.
4: Hey, uh, I appreciate your conversation today. Um, 2001, it was a little bit after nine 11. I think it was the only game we, the ducks lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was against Stanford, Joey Harrington, but we had a flyover, Yeah, a military flyover. And there was 50,000 of our closest friends, just appreciating America. Yeah. And, um, I'll never forget it.
0: True. Emotional. Like, and sometimes it sneaks up on you. You probably didn't expect that, Sid, that day you were in the stadium, but then you look up and you're like,
4: Oh, I had no idea. It wasn't, it was like a month after 9-11. I didn't expect it, but just those Air National Guard flying over, uh, it was brilliant. Love it.
0: Appreciate that call and that addition. Uh, I remember post 9/11 too like God bless America being played at the stadium and you know the Yankees coming back and it was um, it was pretty cool um, we've had different moments you know in sports that have given us that. God
2: bless America land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her
0: through the night with the light from above. From we got a great show for you today. Bob Thompson, the former president of Fox Sports Network, is going to be along to talk about what the latest deal with the Big Ten and CBS, NBC, and Fox means for the Pac-12. Leave it here. You got the BFT statewide.
1: Back to the Bald-Faced Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: Well, the news this morning and yesterday was all about the media rights negotiations for the Big Ten conference. Big Ten apparently agreeing uh, with uh, with, uh, Fox, of course, in their Tier 1 media rights package, but also... Shutting ESPN out of the equation, or ESPN pulling the plug, depending on how you want to look at it, Uh, ESPN and and the Big Ten Conference for the first time in four decades will not be partners. That means football and men's basketball games that you traditionally have seen on ABC and ESPN will be in other places, NBC, CBS, and Fox. Here to talk about it, the former president of Fox Sports Network's bob thompson is with us uh... can we uh... punch bob thompson up we can there he is how are you bob thompson
5: i'm very well john how are you
0: but uh, thanks for making time for us i i think you know you have the expertise in this area so i really i think this is a great opportunity to bring you on and sort of talk inside baseball when it comes to media rights deals but give us an idea in your capacity professional capacity how many how many of these deals have you done Uh, over the years, and with what entities and such?
5: Well, last I counted, excuse me, I've done about 200 rights deals, combination NFL or MLB, NHL, NBA, collegiate conferences, golf, tennis, you name it. But uh, specifically, I did four Big 12, Big 8 deals, three Pac-12, two Big 10 a Midwest Conference or a Mountain West Conference, an ACC Conference, and I think a Southwest Conference back in the early 90s. So quite a few.
0: <laughs> give us an idea when you see Fox involved with the Big Ten in a way that is massive. I mean, the Tier 1 rights estimated to be worth about $500 million a year. Um, give us an idea of where kind of your mind goes when you see those kinds of figures being thrown around.
5: Well, clearly, based on the price of the other packages, which I'm seeing at like 350 million to $380 uh, million uh, average per year, the $500 million package is clearly the, the top package and will afford Fox the right to make the basically the first selection uh, every week uh, uh, for the big noon game and then probably a fourth selection for an FS1 game at some point during the weekend. And also probably the rights to the Big Twelve Championship game every year of the deal.
0: The the presence of NBC in this equation did it surprise you that NBC, which has traditionally been in the Olympic space and with Notre Dame, is suddenly now uh, you know in in bed with Fox?
5: It was a little bit of a surprise that you know as I sat back and thought about it. Um, I think that certainly. The fact that the Notre Dame package was just five or six games that just kind of floated around out there, uh, it was kind of hard to promote. There was no consistency to them. They weren't on every week. It could be on two and then off two. Uh, By having a consistent package with the Big Ten, it allows NBC to a certain extent to marry those two properties. Uh, One might be a lead-in for the other. Uh, some of those primetime windows might go to NBC or might go to Notre Dame as opposed to Big Ten and it's really hard to tell until it, it all falls out this what it'll be but it, it creates a, a consistent promotable package for NBC and quite clearly what they're trying to set up is uh, instead of football night in America on Sunday night now it's going to be college football in America on Saturday night
0: the the presence of NBC and CBS in this, uh, you know, it essentially leaves ESPN on the outside looking in. Did that surprise you that ESPN, uh, you know, appears to be getting nothing here in this Big Ten deal?
5: It does appear that way. I mean, after 40 years, they've, uh, for all intents and purposes, gone away. It might have been a situation where they couldn't accommodate what the Big 12 or the Big Ten was offering. Uh, They have significant commitments to the SEC, Uh, for a number of those windows, and what I've read is that supposedly they wanted ESPN to be in the 3.30 Eastern window, which is very difficult for ESPN because of their commitments to the SEC. I do think that ESPN walked from this deal. Otherwise, you would have seen – the the Big Ten's not going to come out and say they're no longer involved because Big Ten wants everybody all the bidders to think that everybody's still in the game and some, and everybody has a chance to have their deals stolen until the last minute. So the fact that this got leaked that ESPN was out after 40 years clearly, in my mind, had to come from ESPN, and it was kind of a final parting shot to, to the Big Ten on the way out the door.
0: Bob Thompson with us, former president of Fox Sports Networks. Uh, the big winners here, obviously the Big Ten's getting rich, but in Pac-12 country, there was some smiling today. Is that premature, or if you are the Pac-12, do you smile when you see ESPN walk away with, with its war chest intact?
5: Uh, I'm I'm smiling today. If I'm at the Pac-12, and I'm also smiling today at the Big 12, because you know that's 380 million dollars or whatever the number is that didn't get spent somewhere else, and theoretically is is there and available. The ESPN still needs some some to fill up some windows and ESPN now also needs to fill up some collegiate basketball windows. So I, I certainly expect that ESPN will be uh, a bidder on both the PAC 12 and the big 12. The bigger question is, is anybody else bidding?
0: Yeah. And that's creates an interesting dynamic because if ESPN is the only one bidding, you're not going to get the best offer. Is there a chance Fox could want a game or two or some inventory from the Pac-12 or CBS or NBC. Is there in your mind, a scenario in which any of those entities are bidding against ESPN for the Pac-12?
5: I think that there's a scenario where there's others interested in both the Pac-12 and the big 12. Uh, The question becomes how much of the inventory would they want? And for how how much would they pay? Uh, I think in the, in in the situation with Fox, who currently splits both packages, at least on the football side with uh, ESPN, I think Fox would have an interest in some level of games, um, certainly in one of the conferences, but not necessarily both of them.
0: In Your experience, it was interesting to me when i when I saw that Fox executives were in the negotiating space when, CBS NBC and ESPN were bidding for those secondary and and third windows uh, Fox has 60% ownership of the Big Ten network so I guess they were in there protecting their interest in that network. But how awkward would that be you've been in on these deals you know for you to it, let's say you' with Fox and ESPN and NBC and CBS are in the room how weird would that be
5: It's just very unusual and, and, and it would seem rather rather absurd, but I think, you know, Fox has probably had the tier one rights locked up for a number of months now. And so that anything happens below that tier one really is either going to, you know, is really going to affect what ultimately is left for the big 10 network, uh, which Fox owns 60% of. So I'm sure they were there as uh, to ensure that their uh, rights and ability to make sure that the big 10 network stays whole. That makes sense. I think the bigger, the the issue though, is it's kind of unusual for, you know, the guys at CBS and NBC to sit there and and look across the table and there's the Fox guys. But you also have to remember that these guys work together all the time. Um, You know, Fox recently sold the, the rest of the, a bunch of us open years back to NBC. Fox has had a long history with, with CBS in relationship to college football and, College basketball. We used to sub-license them a number of games from the Pac-12, so it's you know it's a, a collegial group, and I think it it certainly was unusual, but I don't think it's something that uh, you know made made a huge difference one way or the other. Look, at the end of the day, you had you had three guys in their bidden, and the, the numbers certainly show that um they bidded they, they all, all three bid very very uh, strenuously
0: bob thompson with us uh former president fox sports networks give me an idea because you mentioned you know uh sunday night football you know on nbc and then trying to create a college football version of that on saturdays does that work in your mind
5: I, I think NBC can make it a sound like a big event, no doubt. I mean, they're very good at that. Whether it's Olympics, Sunday Night Football, you know, they're they're really good at, at creating big events. The the difficulty and the difference between Sunday Night and Saturday Night is they're still going to be going up against a variety of other games. You know, Sunday Night NFL, they're, they're the only game in town, and <clears throat> Sunday Night is also the highest hut levels, uh, which is the people in front of their TVs on Sunday uh, compared to Saturday. So when you combine the fact that the, the viewing levels are down just as a reflection of it being Saturday night and then the fact that you're gonna be going up against probably some games on, on ESPN and certainly some games on maybe ABC that they're not gonna be you know out there on their own like they are on Sunday. So it, it, it will hamper the bit, you know, the ability to make it a big event. But at the end of the day, you know, the event is as big as the matchups are. So depending on how the selection process goes. And my guess is they probably alternate second and third pick every week with CBS. So with Fox having the first pick. So you still, if you look at the second pick uh, in the big 10 with 16 teams, including USC and UCLA and Michigan and Michigan state and Ohio state and Penn state, they, you know, there, there's some, there's always going to be two or three good games every weekend.
0: The streamers, how do they fit into this in your mind? Because you know, people have asked me, and I have asked the Pac-12. I don't get great answers. But help us understand how the, how Apple, Amazon, and maybe some others fit into these packages.
5: I think they fit in.
0: Oh, we lost him. We lost him. Uh, we'll get him right back on. Bob Thompson, uh, former Fox Sports Network's president. Let's take a break here. We'll get Bob Thompson right back. you got the BFT statewide.
1: You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: Bob Thompson, uh, the former president of Fox Sports Networks. We lost him there. We got him back. Bob, I won't keep you long. I I appreciate your patience. The streamers, how do they work? How do they fit into uh, the potential negotiation for the Pac-12?
5: Yeah, sorry about that. I'm not sure where you lost me, but I think – From the PAC-12 standpoint, there's going to be an opportunity for the streamers. The question is, you know, where where does the product come from? Is it a package that's carved out of everything that, you know, might be available currently on the PAC-12 networks? Is it a a level above that or or what? Nobody really knows. I think there are some some interesting ideas that we've seen uh, and have come up uh, over the last few years that the streamers could be very good for. I think think of a PAC-12 type red zone champ. Think of alternate feeds, all of what ESPN does with the Manning cast on, on Monday Night Football, um, things of that nature. All you know, It's interesting to see in the Big Ten, I'm not sure how the streaming part's going to go, but CBS has a streaming portion, a uh, streaming platform, and so does uh, NBC with Peacock. Peacock. And you know, NBC hasn't done many deals lately that didn't include some streaming element for Peacock. So I think at the end of the day, I expect that to be there for the Big Ten. And the Pac twelve can, can take advantage of those things as well, whether it's Peacock or ESPN plus or whatever, you know, Prime or, or Apple. There's there's gonna be plenty of opportunity for that.
0: Give me an idea, you know, Pac twelve, Big Twelve, there's you know, these conferences have been uh, you know, throwing grenades at each other, fan base is not happy, media members not happy. Is there a scenario where ESPN can come in come in and Make both happy, or does ESPN need to play kingmaker here, Bob, and, and pick one or the
5: other? No, I think ESPN can can uh, make both happy. And I think for, for the benefit of college football fans across the country, it, it's two ESPNs. Um, it's, it, that's what they should be trying to do. I don't mm-hmm. think that ESPN and Fox are trying to destroy college football here by creating two mega conferences. I think it's, everybody kind of thinks that, Uh, Strong college football from the East Coast to the West Coast and Pac-12 and Big 12 and ACC and AAC and Mountain West are all important uh, for the popularity of college football. And that would behoove ESPN and Fox to that extent to, you know, make sure that there's some support of these other conferences.
0: The idea that Fox and ESPN are at odds with each other, or at war here over college football, you bristled at that on, on social media. Why?
5: I just don't. I, I just don't see it. You know, I think you know Fox and ESPN have worked together in the Pac-12 and the Big 12 for the last 10 years. I, I worked uh, as part of Fox Sports International with ESPN. We owned the the, the largest sports network in Asia. Um, and that partnership lasted for 25 years. And so I just don't see this, this whole idea of people pitting ESPN against Fox, you know, they're, they're both doing the, what's best for their company in trying to grab, you know, get the best games they can to televise and to ensure that down the road with an expanded college football playoff, that they're all, they're both going to have a seat at the table in those discussions.
0: Bob Thompson, former Fox Sports Network's president. All right, uh, before I cut you loose, you know, put you in George Klyovkov's shoes. What happens now with the Pac-12 as they watch the Big Ten sort of move to finalize these media rights deals? How quickly will the negotiations pick up for the Pac-12 in your mind?
5: I think rather rather quickly, assuming that they are, in fact, out of that exclusive window, which I I believe they are, um, you know, my – my phone call or I assume that George's TV consultant is on the phone to the guys at Fox and to the guys at ESPN like sometime this week and to start figuring out, okay, what's, what's the next step? Where do we go from here? So I, it, it, it should happen relatively quickly. That doesn't mean it's going to be resolved relatively quickly, but certainly the, 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 you know, reaching out to the potential partners should happen uh, this week.
0: And in your mind as you watch this, because you are so inside this world, uh, what what kinds of things are you wondering about? What kinds of questions would you love to have the answers to to know where this is headed?
5: Um, I'd like to know really how everything fleshes out with the Big Ten, um, the selection process, uh, what, the, what the streaming element is, that type of thing. And the next thing is, I'd certainly want to know if the Big 12 is going to potentially move up their window and their negotiation so that they're not last, you know, the, the last poke at the pig, so to speak. Because right now, Big 12 or Pac-12 will be done. Big 10 will be done. SEC is done. ACC is done until the middle of next century or next, next, next decade. And the Big 12 is going to be, you know, last to the dance. So is there a possibility that they, that they move up? Uh, and open their deal up early, and and do the two networks, ESPN and Fox, agree to it?
0: Bob Thompson, you are the best. I appreciate your expertise and your time. I know you got a busy day. Thank you for hanging with us and educating us. I think it's really a public service. I mean, I feel like you're educating people. You're educating <laughs> me. So thanks for doing that.
5: My pleasure. I was actually compared to a, a, a cicada today. They said you only come out every 10 years. So
0: help me with that, because, you know, this deal, this last deal that ESPN and Fox did with the Pac-12 was like a 10 year, 11 year deal. What do you expect this next deal to be? Will they go shorter in this next deal?
5: I think the PAC 12 definitely will. Um, I was interested to see that supposedly ESPN rejected a seven-year offer from the big 10 in the past, the big 10 has usually gone a little shorter than that. So I'm sure that, that Kevin and and his folks have looked at the calendar as to what's expiring and when it's expiring and will have (coughs) had a good idea when they want theirs to expire, given that they're first, you know, kind of first into the uh, arena. So, I would assume that the Pac-12 and the Big 12 are going to have deals that, you know, are in a similar length, but definitely not 12 and 13-year deals that they're coming off of.
0: Bob Thompson, you're the best. Follow him on Twitter. Uh, he's been, he's a great follow. I know that you know you've been tweeting a little bit at RLT Sports. That's where you find Bob Thompson on Twitter. Thank you, Bob Thompson.
5: All right. You guys have a good night.
0: There he is former Fox Sport Network president. It's a guy who cut the deal the last time the Pac-12 made the deal. So he's been in those rooms. He's seen the negotiations. I find this fascinating. I know it's a little inside baseball, but it is so important right now to think about the cartwheels that are going on in the Pac-12 footprint. I reached out to some athletic directors after I heard the news. Uh, The returns that I got were largely positive and encouraging. One AD said, quote, this is where the real work begins. A second AD said, quote, our strategy is sound. A third AD said, quote, this contributes to further stability for the 10, meaning the 10 remaining teams. Now, Fox uh, needs to finalize these deals, but it looks like their estimated take uh, between uh, NBC, CBS, and Fox, the Big Ten will take away about $1.23 billion dollars in media rights money there's probably some streaming options amazon or apple that will boost that towards uh 1.5 billion but that's where it stands the pac-12 and the big 12 have to be happy today as they see espn walking away with the war chest intact now there's a little bit of danger because the rights for the college football playoff championship tournament the expansion of this tournament it's supposed to expand to 12 teams or 16 teams they will come up to bid as well. And so it may be possible that ESPN holds back a little bit of money to be more active in that playoff. They currently have the rights to the college football playoff broadcast. Uh, Those rights will likely be put up for bid and much like the NFL playoffs, be scattered among several networks. So ESPN, I think, will be a bidder there. Uh, as they were a bidder in the Big Ten and as they will be a bidder in the Pac-12. So keep an eye on all that. But if you're George Klyovkov, the real work is starting now. And here's my thing. We've talked about rating Klyovkov's first year. He did a nice job getting out, shaking hands, kissing babies, making the conference feel like it was loved and appreciated. He did everything Larry Scott didn't do. He was a normal human being who stayed in normal hotel and traveled normal airlines he wasn't chartering private flights and sitting in a marble soaking tub and you know doing all that so he he had a nice 360 days and then he lost usc and ucla to the big 10. that was a gut punch like he's got to get up off the canvas now and he's got to prove why he was hired george kravkov worked at nbc universal he worked at hulu It's time for George Kwiatkow to demonstrate to his bosses and the rest of the Pac-12 why he was hired. This is what he was hired for. This negotiation, the creativity, uh, outside the box, selling data, not just to TV rights, but the possibility that the Pac-12 could be the first conference to be in a lucrative space when it comes to its data. Uh, You know, he hinted at that after he was hired. Well, let's see what he means by that. Is it gambling? Is it fantasy sports? Or is there something else that the Pac-12 can sell that nobody else sees here? Uh, This is George Klyovkov's time to shine. So we're going to find out if he's worth a damn here or if uh, this is going to end up being his legacy, that he lost USC, the one job. He had one job, George. Don't lose USC. Well, he lost USC. So what happens now to the Pac-12 conference? He's got a real opportunity. Like, you know, he might be at the plate in the sixth inning. He might be down by two runs. He might have, you know, nobody on base. He might have a strike against him. But he's still got life in this game. And I think he has an opportunity here to rally and have a come-from-behind win that puts or positions the Pac-12 in a way that is more advantageous than a lot of people thought a couple of few weeks ago. Kind of the dread and the doom have passed, and now ESPN – being out there with a full checkbook is awfully interesting to the Pac-12 and probably the Big 12 as well. All right, coming up, hour number two. We'll play some punch and Audio. Anna will join much more ahead on the BFT. This is your escape. I am well aware that those little leaguers reminded me today. I am well aware that this show is supposed to be your escape. So, you know, like, Calgon, take me away. Let's get into hour number two. Let's have some fun. You got the BFT statewide on the BFT radio network.
1: <laughs> B.F.F.T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth.
0: Quit your whining. That's what, I, that's what I tell people. Like, my dad used to tell me when I was a kid. He'd say, you can cry about it, you can do something about it. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. There are people out there that have real issues, health concerns, family issues, real stuff. I mean, ask yourself next time you're complaining and whining whether or not uh, you need a little perspective. I find that all the time. The minute I start feeling sorry for myself, I look up and I'm like, you know what? I'm healthy my kids are healthy working with Steven and Sean couldn't be better you, ju- you ever you ever had friends or family members neighbors people around you that just they complain all the time you guys have, you have this
3: experience uh yeah I uh, definitely have that experience <laughs> do you, I, like, I I mean, do you want me to call people out you, no you okay. don't have to but yeah I mean people I'm close with people I'm not close with I think it's everybody like you talk about neighbors. You can talk about family members, but yeah, there are definitely people that uh, will complain about anything and everything. It
0: becomes easy to get sucked into it and start doing it yourself too. If you if you tolerate it long enough, you you get into that belly aching, you know, misery loves company kind of mentality. I I think you know. Remember when the book The Secret came out? Were you guys around? Stephen, you were around for that The Secret. Remember that?
3: I mean, I, I'm sure I was around. I don't know. I'm not okay. a big book guy. It was a big deal.
0: Right. Like like. Probably you just missed it, because you're younger than me, but you, you just missed it that it became a big deal. Like There was a documentary out, and this book came out. It was published here in the state of Oregon. It was the secret. It went national. It was viral. It was about the power of attraction, okay? But it was a little Pollyanna, a little bit hokey, provincial. But the idea was that if you want something to come true... Focus on, you know, the positivity and the idea, the power of suggestion that, you know, the secret was the law of attraction, talking positively about something, you know, you bring, you bring good things into your orbit. little too holistic for me, okay? But I agree with the premise because in sports we see it all the time. I remember, you know, I've covered five Olympics, and along with that, you go to the Olympic trials. One of the things that jumped out at me the very first Olympic trials that I covered was that there were certain athletes that were a little sheepish about declaring that they were going to make the Olympics or that their dream was to make the Olympics. Like they were afraid to say it. They were afraid to verbalize it because if they verbalized it and it didn't come true, it would be tragic for them. It would be a failure. Hey, I want to be, I want my goal is to get to the Olympics. And and win an Olympic medal say that out loud and if you don't get to the Olympics You are talking about a life of regret. You're talking about failure You're talking about falling short even though you were one of the elite athletes who was great enough to make it to the Olympic trials But I found it was interesting was almost uncanny How many of this in fact, I went to Houston for the Olympic swimming trials one year I don't know jack about swimming. Okay. I barely know the difference between a breaststroke and a backstroke But I was at the pool for the Olympic trials and the swimmers were swimming and I thought it was really interesting because I talked to the swimmers before the meet and then right after they swam. And it was really interesting to me how frequently the swimmers who were declaring before the trials that their goal was to qualify for the Olympics actually qualified for the Olympics. And it was interesting to me as I went back through the transcripts and I started looking at like, okay, who are these athletes? And I'm not talking about like the Michael Phelps swimmers. I'm talking about the swimmers that were on the bubble. There was this group of swimmers that on a given day, any of them could have qualified. But I found it uncanny that the ones who were talking positively about reaching the Olympics and qualifying were more often than not the ones who were qualifying. And so I started looking, about that, uh, looking for that in news conferences with other sports. Athletes who you know certainly the confidence is a is a factor in sports but athletes who were able to speak out loud what their dream were and Say it and verbalize it and then go chase it I think are in a different position than the ones who are maybe a little afraid to say My goal is to make an NFL roster. My goal is to make a pro bowl My goal is to win a Super Bowl And then they get about doing the things that are necessary to get there I think there's an application for the real world here for all of us because I've for years told interns who come in or job shadows who come in to job shadow the show I have told them what I've asked them what's your dream job and I've noticed like some of the interns are afraid to say what their dream is they they all know what their dream is like maybe it's to work at ESPN maybe it's to write for the New York Times maybe you know you have a dream but there were a, a class of kids who would come in and they when i asked them what your dream is they go silent they're afraid to say it and i would always talk to them and i'd say don't be afraid to speak it into truth don't be afraid to say this is my dream because if you say it if you verbalize it yes you put it you put some pressure on yourself to achieve it but you also give yourself some focus if that's the goal and you can speak it out loud you now know hey there are steps that are necessary a to b to c to d that are required for me to get to where I have verbalized. And I think it's an important distinction. I don't d- think you should be, be afraid to say it out loud. And I know it's something that the book, The Secret, was published, and it, you know, it went like New York Times bestseller, broke Amazon, whatever. But it was like the idea, the premise was very simple. And the premise was, hey, if you uh, dwell on negativity, if you dwell on – all the negative naysaying, backbiting, gossip, all that crap, you are uh, likely to spend time, uh, you know, changing your mindset. And Greg Bell wrote a great book recently. Greg Bell, who wrote Water the Bamboo, a big fan of Greg Bell. He's a guy in the state, uh, you know, University of Oregon athlete and author. Uh, he wrote Water the Bamboo that Chip Kelly Used with his teams, but Greg Bell also his follow up book is "What's Going Well." And I sat down and had coffee with Greg Bell, and he, one of the first questions he asked me was, "What's going well?" And when you start to talk about what's going well in your life, all of a sudden, psychologically, your viewpoint on life changes. Instead of dwelling on what's negative, dwell on what's positive. And I'm not saying it's going to change your outlook. You know, if, if your life is a mess, you focusing on, well, at least I found the remote control is not going to change everything. But it can change your level of happiness, gratitude. We all know the power of gratitude, and it can change your mindset. And I think too often, it's why I started this segment saying quit whining. I get a bunch of emails from people who are whining, complaining. Oh, the Pac-12. Oh, it's going nowhere. Oh, this is happening. Oh, this is going to be terrible. Oh, Oregon's done. Or oh, Oregon State is done. Or oh, The conference is done. Oh, this just sucks. If you focus on all that stuff, pretty soon your entire well-being, your mentality, your outlook turns into this big fat negative zero. So be wary of that. Quit your whining is what I'm saying. Let's play some punch audio. <laughs>
6: We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the
3: top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound.
0: Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. University of Oregon Offensive Coordinator Kenny Dillingham talked about the quarterback room. They've all improved. Here's Dilly, Punch It. Rather, here's Dilly.
3: Sorry about that. Here's Dilly. Punch it. And you can see his release. He doesn't pull out his front hand as much, right? I mean, the guru term is you speak into the mic, right? So you, you compact your release. Uh, Ty compacted his release as well. You know, he doesn't have as long a release. He doesn't drop the ball. And, uh, you know, Dre usually worked on quickening up his feet.
0: Let's talk about all the different quarterbacks, how they improved. Oregon's got a real strategy here. And I don't, they didn't invent this game, but they're playing it. Bo Nix, we all know he's going to be the starter against Georgia unless he gets hurt in camp. But Oregon is really focused right now on giving Jay Butterfield and Ty Thompson public respect, public accolades, giving them reps with the first team. They're trying to defend against one or both of those guys transferring. And I think Oregon's smart to do this, but its it's just really interesting to me to watch Kenny Dillingham, the offensive coordinator, Dan Landing, the head coach, even team captains like Alex Forsyth coming out and being really careful to give credit to all the quarterbacks, not just one. Kevin Durant has demanded a trade. The Brooklyn Nets, are they shopping him? Sham says Boston is a leader. Here he is, punching. They've set a
5: high high asking price for Kevin Durant you know in their conversations with Boston which I think is right now when you look at the landscape the Celtics are probably a leading team for Kevin Durant when you look yeah. at pieces that they have <laughs> Jalen Brown you're able to add draft picks other players um, if 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 if, if, Boston, if Brooklyn goes that direction, you want as much as you can get. And that includes Marcus Smart. That includes draft picks, whoa, whoa. which right now, from what I'm told, Boston is not inclined to do. And so that's really so that's- what's going on here. There's a made on all fronts. And we have about a month and a half before training camp now.
0: Kevin Durant, month and a half away from training camp. He's got plenty of money. He never seems to be happy. Brian Windhorst
7: gave a sleeper team for KD. Where's he going? Punch it. There's two things about this trade that we have to remember that are easy to forget because it's just been on the table for so long. Number one, the Nets cannot rebuild. The way they are, they, they don't own their, their picks going forward, so they can't do a teardown trade. So trades that are based solely on draft picks, um, you know, it just doesn't work for them. The second thing is they can't trade for another um, player who is on a designated rookie extension, Bobby's talked about for months now, um, that limits the number of star players that they can trade for because they've got Ben Simmons already on the roster. And that narrows the field of the trades right down. And that's why the Celtics are being discussed here because Jalen Brown fits in that narrow little window and he has actually been offered. It's not a pie in the sky situation. It's not a demand that is getting um, ignored. That is a demand that's actually been met, Jalen Brown. So that is why that is at the forefront of everybody. if you're looking for a team that would be very interesting, I'll bring up the New Orleans Pelicans. They have the assets to do it. Zion Williamson is, expecta- is hoped that he is going to have a bounce back uh, year this year, and I'm going to tell you, having been in New Orleans in the playoffs, that is, a very, that is an exciting market, ex- ready to explode. And if Durant went there, I think that that would potentially be a championship contender immediately.
0: I think a couple of things that you can be, uh, you can probably lean on I think Steve Nash will be the head coach of the Nets on game one. That was decided yesterday when the owner of the Brooklyn Nets refused to play ball with Kevin Durant. Second thing is, I'm not convinced Kevin Durant's going to get traded. I think there's a shot he could be traded because he could be a big distraction this season for the Brooklyn Nets, but I think he is more likely than not to start this season with the Nets. If he's not with the Nets... It's probably the Celtics. Maybe after that, you talk about the Phoenix Suns. Maybe Toronto. Portland's on the board. I noticed that uh, Bet Online had odds on the Blazers and others getting into this. Portland's nine to one to get Kevin Durant. That puts them at about the fifth or sixth favorite to to be in this conversation. I think it's interesting from that standpoint, but I think it's more likely than not that Kevin Durant, like other players in this league who have. Asked for trades, uh, probably starts the year in Brooklyn, and maybe Brooklyn just sees how it goes because I just don't know if he has destroyed the trade value to the point where Boston or somebody else uh, isn't going to uh, isn't going to give what he is worth. It, it is evident that you know he's at least trying to give the appearance that he's
3: checked out in Brooklyn. Stephen, does he start the year with Brooklyn or somewhere else? I think he starts with Brooklyn and going back to the betting odds there are odds also uh will he be traded before the start of the regular season and no is the favorite there I think I just think it's gonna be too hard right now with the trade market the way it is to get what Brooklyn wants back for him I don't think that anyone's willing to do that so I think Brooklyn is kind of in a tough spot right now if they want to keep Durant or if they want to trade Durant I think they're gonna have to keep him and Yeah, I'm with you. Steve Nash is going to be back. I think they're going to run it back and hopefully just repair it on the fly. But uh, just knowing Kevin Durant, it doesn't seem like it's going to work out. Finally, Kyle Whittingham.
0: Give me a hypothetical University of Utah Kyle Whittingham scenario. Josh Pate offered one today. Punch it.
8: Kyle Whittingham just did the most at Utah that we think he could ever do. Does he want to stay at Utah, or does he want to take an opportunity to go to more solid footing in places where he would no doubt have job opportunities? I mean, If anyone got the slightest inclination that Kyle Whittingham was willing to leave Utah, he'd have a ton of job offers. It's just that no one has ever thought he's going to leave. The convers- He may not leave, but the conversation will sound like that. It'll be, all right, you just won out there in the Pac-12. You better get out of there while you can. Because that conference is sinking under your feet. And unlike a lot of the folks out there, you've got value. Conference doesn't, but you do. As a coach, you have value. Are you going to get out of there, or are you going to stay on a sinking ship? That's what the conversation would sound like. Is it fair? No. But that's what the conversation would sound like anyway. That's why Kyle Winningham is a really important name this year. Because he would be the first, theoretically, but not the last guy who dealt with that kind of conversation. Had Mario stayed at Oregon, he'd be dealing with it. If Dan Lanning has a good year this year, he'll be dealing with it. it. Lincoln Riley's not because USC has already made their future intentions clear, but a lot of the folks, I mean, Brent Venables may, de- well, no, he won't because he's going to the SEC. Um, Dave Aranda will deal with this at Baylor. You know, Mike Gundy will deal with this at Oklahoma State. So just keep an eye on Kyle Whittingham.
0: This is a ridiculous statement. This is this is from somebody who obviously doesn't understand Whittingham's history, his father's connection to the state of Utah and the University of Utah. His own connection is a guy who's been there. Part of Kyle Whittingham's deal with the University of Utah gives any of his descendants, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren, his great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren do not have to pay tuition at the University of Utah. They go to Utah for free because he's in the deal that he's in. That is how embedded Kyle Whittingham is at Utah. He may retire in a year, two years, three years. We talk about it all the time. He's not going somewhere else. That's ridiculous. I want you to leave it here. you got the bald-faced truth. Anna's popping in next. So much to talk about.
1: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: Anna's popped into the studio, back from uh, her exclusive tour of Bed, Bath & Beyond. (laughs) I ran into LaMarcus Aldridge one time at Bed, Bath & Beyond.
9: More than once, right? I feel like. Yeah,
0: he was in there a lot. Right? What was I? And and granted, in order for me to see him in there a lot, I (laughs) would have had to be in there quite a bit. But it was at a time, Anna, where we were, I think we had moved into this house. Yeah. And we were buying stuff you got to get only at Bed Bath and Beyond. But I remember asking him, like, "What are you doing in here?" And he said, "I'm getting pillowcases." And I said, <laughs> "Don't you have someone who can go buy you pillowcases?" And he said, "Everybody needs pillowcases."
9: Yeah, pillowcases are very personal. Yeah, you know, there's nothing, almost nothing, more personal than a pillowcase. Yeah,
0: and he uh, he got like a little silk one.
9: Yeah, he see? wanted to lay his
0: baby face on the silk pillowcase.
9: <laughs> you got to take it out of the package. I, I'm using a burlap bag.
0: I'm using a burlap bag, and LaMarcus Aldridge is using a silk <laughs> pillowcase.
9: burlap bag. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, you're using a burlap I, what,
0: bag. I, I actually think, and you could vouch for this, because you and your mom ran a 28-unit motel on Sandy Boulevard. Yeah, so I'm, I'm a
9: hospitality expert.
0: Okay, so one time I, I was in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Okay. Okay. I was driving across the country. I was coming from the Florida Panhandle, Uh and I was coming west.
9: Okay. Not on a
0: wagon like 1883, but I was coming (laughs) west. And I stopped in some town in New Mexico that was outside of Albuquerque. Yeah. In the middle of the night. Yeah. In my U-Haul trailer, my truck that I had rented, all my belongings. Yeah. All my good stuff in the back. I probably should have just left it. But (laughs) I'm in in New Mexico, and I check into this motel that's like, I'm not going to lie must have been $30 a night, uh-huh. middle of nowhere. Yeah,
9: that's about right. Okay. Yeah. Middle
0: of nowhere.
9: Mm-hmm.
0: And this is in
9: the 90s?
0: There was a uh, family run, it was a family run motel. Yeah. Indian family running it. Yes. And they gave me a room and I get in the room and I'm exhausted and I just want to sleep. Uh-huh. I put my head on the pillow.
9: Uh-oh. And
0: I'm not making this up. Oh, no. I think it had cardboard inside. What? The pillowcase. It had paper or cardboard or something. It was not a real pillow. It literally had some kind of, you know, there was some tactile cardboard <laughs> or whatever inside this bag. I was like, what the heck is was this thing? was it
9: like that shredded paper that yes. goes at the bottom of present gift bags? Yes, you know, something like, like that. Taffeta? inside. Yes, inside
0: <laughs> a sealed pillowcase. And I thought, this has to be the worst pillow that I've ever slept on. But I slept on that baby. And then I woke up. To the sound of a parade.
9: Oh. Okay? Yeah. It was
0: like Fourth of July weekend oh. in this tiny little town. Yeah. And they were having a parade. Now, mind you, it had a gas station, it had a motel, mm-hmm. there might have been a restaurant or a truck stop. Yeah. There wasn't a whole lot of else going on yeah. in this New Mexico town.
9: This was a one horse parade?
0: When I I heard the ruckus, like cymbals clashing, drums. Yeah. I opened the window, like the drapes of the hotel room. To be like what in the hell is going on outside and there was like the parade was like four vehicles and it was just moving along and there was like a scattering of people out on the streets and it the parade lasted no more than a minute it passed by
9: (laughs) those are my favorite
0: and i went i just saw a fourth of july parade and i slept on not my pillow uh, that evening so what do you do when you have a motel and you got a bunch of pillows? Like, you know, give me an idea of what goes into that, because we don't know. All we do is complain.
9: Uh, well, you generally you don't want to know, but I guess you kind of do want to know. Yeah, I want to know. You spend a lot of time at thrift stores buying things for your motel. Oh, really? So that's why to this day I know thrifting is real popular, but I have an allergy to it because I spent most of my childhood touring Goodwills and Salvation Army thrift stores. looking for, you know, bedspreads, pillows, uh, draperies, yeah, like everything. So
0: you guys would uh, just buy whatever.
9: Yeah, or you'd go to those, like, big city liquidator kind of sales, you know, and uh, buy stuff from other motels that didn't make it, and then you would inherit that stuff at your motel.
0: Give me an idea, because a lot of times you drive by these motels, and it'll say, like, you know, breakfast or... Phones. They have rooms have phones in them. Yeah. What did you guys have on your? What did you have on your sign? Uh,
9: We had we had a big old sign uh, that I made that said HBO in big letters. (laughs) Because HBO is
0: a selling point.
9: HBO back in then in the 90s and 80s were a selling was a selling point, and we advertised uh, kitchenettes.
0: Mm. What (laughs) did that mean? You got a hot plate in there?
9: It. No, we had units that uh, had like full kitchens so that you know a family could actually they were like two or three bedroom units huh. that a uh, family could live in for weeks at a time
0: yeah it's really interesting mm-hmm. too to travel with you and go to go to hotel motels. Oh, yeah,
9: a lot of things I don't touch yeah I don't care how many stars that hotel has yeah I, I fold down the bedspread the first
0: thing you do you come in you grab the bedspread you fold it down onto the floor yeah you don't want to touch it because mm-hmm. you're like they're not washing this <laughs> you are... could do you should do a YouTube on this
9: I'm sure public service. Done it. Public service. I'm telling you right now, if you're listening, if you go to any hotel, immediately fold down the bedspread. Do not let that come in contact with your body.
0: Because they're not washing it.
9: Well, I mean, look, if you're staying at like a really nice hotel, chances are they are. They are. But um, anything like three stars or lower, they're probably washing that bedspread like once a month. I'm sure that might have changed in COVID, or they just put out a sign that said we cleaned everything.
0: The other thing that, that you do when you get to a motel hotel is you act like you're moving in. Uh huh. You go in, you take your clothes out of your suitcase, you put it in the drawers. <laughs> you act like this is your residence.
9: And that actually goes counter to what I know. Because if you really are concerned about hygiene and, let's say, bed bugs,
8: yeah.
9: the, the, like the pest control experts will say, do not do that. So that goes against everything that I, you know, have been raised to think. But, yes, I like to unpack. Because the idea is that, like, if you put your clothes into that same dresser drawer that somebody who had bed bugs, you know, uh, had also used, you might be having bed bugs, yeah. like, hitch a ride home with That's you. That's why your
0: I keep my stuff in my suitcase, self-contained.
9: Yeah, but, like, you leave it on, yeah. on the
0: floor. I put it on the floor. I put my suitcase on the floor. <laughs> I don't let it come into contact with anything, yeah. and that if the bed bugs want to get into the suitcase, that's fine, but they're going to have to work for it.
9: <laughs> well, the pest control experts will actually tell you that if your motel or hotel has a bathtub, that's the best place to put your suitcase okay. because the bed bugs have a harder time getting in there. That's what I'm doing. Not they lively. don't like to bathe? <laughs> they have a hard time crawling up against the metal or something. Yeah,
0: I'm going to do that. From now on, my suitcase is going in the shower. That's where it stays. All right, I have so much I want to talk to you about. Uh, more ahead, 5-5 five at five coming up, top of the hour. But we're going to talk next about uh, something that we saw today in sports that, you know, I started today's show by talking about the Little Leaguers. But I want to take it one step further. Anna and I, next.
1: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750, The Game.
0: I've been saying for a while there's something wrong with sports. There's something wrong right now. We're wobbling. We're off kilter. If sports were my friend, I'd put my arm around it and go, hey, 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 enough. I started the show today talking about those little leaguers. Uh, if If you missed it, Texas East and Oklahoma were playing in the Southwest Region Championship today. Big game. Only 10 teams from the United States will advance to Williamsport, Pennsylvania. These are teams of 10, 11, and 12-year-old All-Stars. And in the game today, if you missed this, um, a really interesting scene transpired as the batter at the plate for Oklahoma took a pitch to the helmet. And... And it was scary. I mean, anybody who has a kid who's played sports or has played baseball knows that one of the biggest, most fearful things is kids are afraid of getting hit by a pitch, and let alone getting hit in the head. But uh, Caden Shelton of Texas was on the mound, and Isaiah Jarvis of Oklahoma was at the plate. Shelton's pitch hit Jarvis in the helmet, knocked him down. It was stunning. But then what happened next is what I think is amazing. Jarvis goes to first base. Once he gets there, he's 12 years old, by the way. He realizes that Shelton, the pitcher, is still standing beside the mound with his head down and he's distraught and struggling to compose himself. He yells, hey, hey. He's trying to tell him you're okay. I'm okay. It's all good. Uh, The pitcher is really struggling to compose himself. And Jarvis, who's at first base, does the most amazing thing. He takes his helmet off, he throws it down, and he walks over to the pitcher. He doesn't punch him. He doesn't jump on him. He doesn't kick him. He does. There's no bench-clearing brawl that ensues. He does the most amazing thing. Instead, he hugs him. And then he tells him, hey, you're doing just great, before he goes back to first base. Now, I showed this to Anna, I showed this video to you.
9: You got glassy-eyed. Oh, more than glassy-eyed. It was like full tears streaming down my face. Like every time I watch it, too. I've watched it three or four more times, and every time it gets me
0: the uh why is it that it gets you
9: it's just it's the compassion it's the fact that it's kids and uh it's the fact that like in this landscape this sports landscape that we're discussing these days i just feel like gosh I, these kids can teach the adults something you know yeah. like uh the professionals the grown-ups we can learn from these kids yeah and that act of compassion
0: Uh, for me it's and and if you want to see the video i've tweeted it at john canzano bft on twitter i've also written about it and posted it at john if you want to see it and read what i think about it but to me that what strikes me is uh, we've just watched major league baseball this season it seems to me that pitchers and hitters are having problems with each other at a rate that i've never seen before Mm -hmm. like i haven't tracked bench clearing brawls but i feel like we're at an all-time high this season uh it feels like people are fighting i also think you know we've got in sports a real loss of sportsmanship i think that's uh you know evident in professional and college sports i think everybody's chasing money liv golf uh you know the big 10 grabbing ucla and usc Deshaun Watson, you know, that's the biggest story for the NFL this summer. Deshaun Watson, mm-hmm. sex assault, civil lawsuits, $230 million contract, suspension. Uh, the NBA, it's Kevin Durant, signs a, uh, you know, $198 million deal. He uh, now wants to be traded. You know, it's, we've got all this loss of class in sports, and sportsmanship is, is gone right now. And here's a 12-year-old kid who gets drilled in the head. It looked like it was a slider or a curveball that got away from the pitcher. He's 0-2 count. He's trying to throw a breaking ball. And it it just totally got away from him. Threw it like a football. And it hit the batter in the side of the helmet. The batter could have been mad. The pitcher could have stared him down. No, the pitcher's out there. He's starting to cry because he feels bad because he hit the kid. And now the bases are loaded, too. And the batter, instead of taunting him or jumping around at first base, clapping his hands, trying to make him i'm gonna get in his head instead of doing that he puts his helmet down walks off first base where he could have been tagged out he could have been you know they could have ran a play behind him the umpire could have called him out for leaving leaving the base path he doesn't and isaiah jarvis walks over and
9: hugs the pitcher
0: like you know like i needed that i I i don't know if anybody else needed that I needed that. Well,
9: and it makes me, like, I want to hear from people who know that kid. Like, who are the people in his family? What are the values that they're raising him with? Because, obviously, in that moment, he put – that that was not a low-stakes game. Like, that was a championship game, like a regional championship. The winner's going to Williamsport. The loser's going home. So those stakes are pretty high. So, you know, if those kids are watching a lot of – ESPN, and they're watching a lot of the grown-ups and the bench-clearing brawls and whatnot, it would be easy for those kids to pattern their behavior after the grown-ups who have shown less maturity and decorum and compassion, uh, especially in the last couple of years. Instead, he put that kid's feelings first. He put the kid first, above the stakes of the game, and I admire that so much, and you're right. It's... Uh, it's, it's Kids are awesome that way when they can show us the way because they still have that kind of innocence and that kind of heart that can inspire us.
0: Yeah, I, I, uh, I just think it's amazing. And by the way, it looks like the team from Texas, the, the pitcher who was out there on the mound, looks like they won the game and are advancing to Williamsport over the team from Oklahoma. The team from Oklahoma was from Tulsa, Oklahoma. But what a great moment. What a great moment for Little League. What a great moment for that kid and his family. Like, you ask, what are the values? Can't you tell? Like, can't you tell that like that was his, like, yeah,
9: his, but I'm we... his parent? I'm like, that's my work right there, <laughs> know. you know? Right. But in the same way, like, it was always fascinating to hear from, you know, Marcus Mariota's mom and dad about how they raised him. I I love hearing from parents about... You know how is it that at that moment your kid made that decision?
0: It's a real moment. It's a moment. Of, I, you know, I always say it's a moment of truth. There's these moment of truths that you have. As a parent, you're in the stands. Your kid gets hit in the head. Your first reaction is what?
9: Uh, trying to get to the field to make sure the kid's okay. Like you don't go really to the afraid.
0: field, Anna. Don't <laughs> no, do I know. that. Don't do that to our kids. <laughs>
9: you're just really afraid yeah. that your kid's uh, not going to be okay. And then
0: the second moment, and the camera, uh, one of the shots showed mom in the crowd. Yeah she started crying when he walked out to hug the other kid at the mound. And I love that because I want to give her a fist bump and I want to be like, good good on you. Because in that moment, there's your kid, he's 12. He's going to react true to his character. And his character and his nature is to be compassionate and have empathy for the pitcher and to let the pitcher know, hey, I'm okay, and it's okay, you're doing fine. Let's compete. You know, I still want to kick your ass, but let's compete, <laughs> yeah. you know. And, hey, you know, it's, it's a really cool moment. And I hope that people watch that and they go – the first thing I thought was, like, we needed that in sports. We needed a moment like that. But then the second thought was, I hope to hell nobody tries to commercialize it. Like, I, you know what I mean? I don't like Gatorade having a commercial during the Little League World Series where they show this. You know,
9: let it live alone. Let it be. Let it just
0: be the thing that it was.
9: Yeah.
0: You know, yeah. Because I could see right now. Okay, that team's from Oklahoma. Yeah. What's going to happen here? University of Oklahoma is going to be like, you know, our honorary coin toss. We're bringing out Isaiah Jarvis out here to, you know, (laughs) let's capitalize on his celebrity. Just let it be a nice moment we used to have nice moments they belong to the people who who made them nowadays somebody makes a TikTok and it's a nice moment what happens like you know some cranberry juice company wants to be like hey can we put cranberry juice in your hand and you can do that stunt again like no just let this be a nice moment
6: who it was a nice, that who yeah. was that female in the little league world series all those years ago that just took over the whole sports world she was a girl that was playing with all the boys. She was super good. And then, like you said, she ended up kind of being like a huge celebrity in sports, you know, the kind of person that would be throwing out the first pitch. Anyone remember that name?
0: Yeah, it was – uh was it – was it uh, – uh gosh, she was – she ended up playing softball in college. I don't know. One of your jobs, Sean, is you're, like, researching. you got a computer in front of you. You right. can Google I, Monet this Davis. before you I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> trying to make me I'm the do one your with the job. Comput-
6: yeah, I'm the yeah. one with computer in front of me. Monet <laughs> Davis.
0: Yeah, Monet. Yes.
6: Yeah. What college did, did she end up at?
0: I think she went somewhere, uh, Hampton University.
6: Hampton. Okay.
0: And, you know, she ended up playing uh, – she was 13 because she went to Williamsport and she just dominated. Right. And – you know, she played in, the, you know, she, I remember her braids and, you know, it was great. But I also know, look, Danny Almonte, let's not forget the Little League World Series is not immune to controversy. <laughs> remember Danny Almonte? He was uh, from New York. He was about 42 years old. He was pitching in the Little League World Series. <laughs> and it turned out they won it. And then it turned out that their team was not, first of all, he was too old to be playing. Uh-huh. And then the second thing was their team, they had, uh, creatively drawn the district boundaries to (laughs) stack the team. And it was everything. It was like, you know, is there no, you know, is there no sanctity anymore in Little League?
3: (laughs) Daniel Monte, I remember that one. Yeah, I remember that one. I was going to bring that one up. Yeah, I was just looking at him up. He he threw 76 miles an hour uh, for Little League, (laughs) which was an equivalent to 102 (laughs) mile per hour fastball. And uh, the team received the key to the city from Mayor Rudy Giuliani.
0: Oh yeah, Rudy Giuliani was all about that team. They uh, they said this is the New York's finest. It, it turned out that Danny Almonte was you know out buying beer after the game. He was old enough to he was too old to be out there. He did well, play, he did
3: play uh, junior college baseball though.
0: Yeah, it was a little different when he was facing kids his
3: age. That, that's part of the difference. Yeah, you want to hope that like the parents don't want to like monetize this moment, you know, nil moment.
0: Any anytime there's fame or money involved, you run the risk of corruption, you know? And, and I've done stories over the years. I did a story on a, on a kid named um, Carlos Rodriguez, who was from the Dominican Republic. Charlie Rodriguez is what he went by in California. He was playing at um, Clovis West High School in the Fresno area, and Kansas had offered him a full ride. He was a junior, and everyone thought he was 16, and, but it turned out that he was not 16, and I remember Roy Williams had given him a scholarship at Kansas, and he also had uh, a couple of other kids on that on that same team that were phenomenal who went on to play major Division One basketball. It was a stacked team, but um, I got sent by my newspaper to the Dominican Republic to find out how old Charlie Rodriguez was. <laughs> Turns out Charlie Rodriguez was a junior in high school. Okay, uh-huh. he was 22 years 10 months old he was <laughs> almost 23 as a high school basketball player okay he was six five six six and he was dominating but as it turned out he was playing against 16 17 year old kids he was almost 23 and the worst part of the story to me was he was dating like a 16 or 17 year old girl at the school oh, wow. and when the parents found out we published it his birth documents whatever you know, We found out how old he was. We kind of uncovered the story. Like, I didn't blame the kid. Like, he came from extreme poverty in the Dominican Republic. But he should have been at a community college. He should not have been at a high school. But the worst part of it was, like, the parents of the girl he was dating were like, it's okay – (laughs) <laughs> you know, in Spirit he's 16, 17. I'm like, "No." It's spirit. No, he's 20, true, almost 23 years old.
9: That couldn't have been easy to track down his actual age. Fascinating in the Dominican Republic to go and search through birth records yes. there. Yes. It was on paper. It was amazing
0: and I had I had uh, 2 years of Spanish in high school. <laughs> so, it was even more amazing. <laughs> When I
3: when I got no, I'm not in, a lawyer or anything. But does uh, the spirit of his age does that go in court of law? Does that work? <laughs> yeah, no, it
0: doesn't work. Oh, okay, it doesn't work in the court of law. You, but I I got to the Dominican Republic and I was able to you know how they tra- how they did birth records uh, in the Dominican how they still do it is they have a book they have a book at, that is a registry yeah that is it, for every city they have this giant book it looks like a wizard's spell book yeah okay it's old and it and when someone's born, they write your name, your parent's name, your address, and your date of birth, time of birth in this book. Okay. And so then when the next baby's born, they write the next name. Okay, yeah. Joe McGee is born, and then Jill McGee is born, and then, you know, uh, someone else is born, they put the next name. And so how you can actually know how some old someone is is by looking at the person born before them and after them. Right. There's no disputing that. Okay, And so I actually got to the Dominican Republic and, you know, went to Santo Domingo and Puerto Plata and was all over the country because he had moved different places. And I found the book where he was in the book.
9: Wow. And
0: I found him and he's 22 years, 10 months old. And then you ask the government officials there to create a birth certificate for you based on that book document. And they gave me a birth certificate that was a copy Hmm. of his birth certificate showing his birth date. But he insisted he was younger than his brother, who was, like, 18. Mm-hmm. But I found his brother in the book, too. His brother was <laughs> born several pages after him, many, many pages after oh, him. Man. And neighbors – and there's a lot of confusion in the Dominican because kids who are of different ages will be in the same grade. Yeah. So you have – it's not unusual for a kid who is, like, 14 to be in the same grade as an 11-year-old. Right. Like, they just put kids because they're – Brothers or sisters, they put them in the same grade Mm -hmm. because it's easier. Um, But it was interesting because he tried to say, I'm younger than my brother. And I said, not according to the registry. Like, unless somebody accidentally wrote your name in the book several years before your brother was born, that's not true. And then he finally admitted, yes, I am am, uh, almost 23. And he was worried that he was going to get arrested. And that, mm-hmm. that's why – and once he figured out –
9: You mean for being with the 16-year-old no, girlfriend? No, for,
0: f- for falsifying oh. a document Okay. because he had a passport that said he was oh. six, 16, 17. Right. So he had falsified his birth registry to get a passport to get to the U.S. So they, uh, they threw his passport away, and I don't know what happened to Charlie Rodriguez. I, Did you,
9: I have a question. Did you feel bad – uncovering all of that because here was a kid that was from a poor country a poor area who was just trying to make it like ultimately on a personal level did you feel bad or was, was there still value in exposing the truth because in the end, he's taking the place of somebody else who might be rightfully receiving that scholarship to Kansas.
0: That is true. He is he was taking the place of somebody and the scholarship got unwound. Yeah. But you're right. There was part of it is I was sitting talking to his mother and his uncle and him together in front of his house. And granted their house was a one bedroom shack that was made out of like tin yeah. and metal. It was made out of, you know, they they took some uh, you know, it was kind of roofing material right. that you'd use on a shed. Yeah. They built a house out of it, and that was his house. And so I, I I, knew that they came from poverty. I knew and I understood why. Yeah, The why of it made sense to me. Yeah. But I couldn't, with a straight face as a journalist, be like, you know, it's okay. Come pretend that you're 16 when you're really 23. And I said, why not a community college? And he said what had happened was, that individuals who were involved um, with the Artesia High School program in California. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, Neil Olshe at the time was involved with that program. <laughs> um, they were a basketball powerhouse in, in Southern California, yeah. Artesia High School. Yes. Charlie wasn't good enough to play for Artesia. That's how good Artesia was. Mm-hmm. Artesia farmed him out to Clovis West passed him to another high school in central california so i asked him how did you end up here he said i was going to go to artesia they didn't have room for me they sent me here so they sent him as a quote unquote foreign exchange student to another but the the game the game was the handlers were bringing players over from the dominican republic and then getting them in high school and then ushering them to colleges wow leave it here get the bft
1: You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Kinzana on 750 The Game.
0: During the commercial break, Anna, you said it as we were going to break off air. You were like, wow, what a cool thing that the Fresno Bee did back in the day, sending you to go report to, on that story at the Dominican Republic.
9: I mean, that's quite an investment. You know, they sent that. me
0: and a photographer. Yeah, and said, "Go find the story."
9: How hard did you have to sell that to pursue was that it, project?
0: It wasn't my idea. They came to me. They said, "Hey, you should go." Wow, like that's the kind of paper it was. And and for people who know like the landscape of sports today, Adrian Wojnarowski, um, who is at ESPN, worked. He pre, he was my predecessor as columnist at the Fresno Bee. John Branch, the New York Times Pulitzer winner, came after me. I was sandwiched between those two. <laughs> Andy Katz, who went on to ESPN, was the beat reporter covering Fresno State. Jeff Passan, who's now at ESPN as the Major League Baseball guru, was uh, another writer on that staff. Um, you know, it, That's Eric Prisbell, who went on to the Washington Post, was on that staff. That staff was loaded. And the executive editor was a former L.A. Times editor, and he said you know, when, when that story broke, like And the story was, Charlie Rodriguez went back to the Dominican Republic for Christmas break and didn't come back. Mm. Where did he go? Why didn't he come back? A lot of rumors were s- circulating. So they called me and said, Canzano, you're going to the Dominican Republic. And I said, awesome. We went to the DR, and I was like, okay. <laughs> I, uh, don't have, uh, I don't have – I barely speak. You know, I speak two years of Spanish in high school. Thank you to my teachers. <laughs> but we got it done. It was fun. It was an adventure.
9: Fascinating stuff.
0: Good stuff. 5 at 5 coming up after the break. I want you to leave it here. you got the bald-faced truth statewide on the BFT Radio Network. Appreciate that you're here.
1: B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth.
0: So many fun things happening in sports today. I want to focus on that in the 5 at 5. Whole bunch of news developing. If you are just knocking off work, or you've been busy all day, or you're waking up from a coma, we've got you covered. Whatever the case may be. Anna and I will give you the five biggest stories in sports and kind of what they mean. And we're going to start with the NFL. Let's do it.
1: The 5 and 5.
0: Aaron Rodgers, Green Bay Packers quarterback, speaking out about the preseason today. By the way, he hasn't played a preseason snap since 2018. He was supposed to play one game in the summer of 2019, but it got scrapped because of poor field conditions. Aaron Rodgers says he doesn't see any benefit at all to the preseason, especially playing just one game, even as a quarterback. He said, I don't see any benefit to even playing one series. If we're going to play, we should just play, play a quarter. But suiting up for one series, four plays maybe, it's a waste. Packers coach Matt LaFleur has already said that Rodgers will not play Friday in the preseason opener at San Francisco. And he will not play in the preseason game number two against the Saints. But they are targeting the preseason finale at Kansas City. Rodgers said, quote, I'm not saying this to send a message to Matt. I've already told Matt the same thing. We'll just see what happens when we get there. Packers were blown out last year in the regular season opener by the Saints. And Matt LaFleur said that that blowout, they were beaten 38-3 in week one last year of the regular season. LaFleur says that would alter how he handles training camp and the preseason. But I'm not sure his star quarterback is on board. I I actually don't see the benefit of a preseason in the NFL and I covered the NFL years ago One of the stories I did was about all the injuries that happen in the preseason The vast amount of money that the NFL has invested in these players the fact that college football doesn't have a preseason High school you get a jamboree or a scrimmage college. They do a scrimmage and then they play Uh, I just I understand why they do it. The owners want to sell tickets and make money on preseason games But I just think it makes no sense to even have a preseason. Anna, number two in our 5 at 5.
9: Serena Williams hanging up the racket after the U.S. Open. She's uh, penning a personal essay that was published in Vogue. Kind of interesting how the 23 all-time singles Grand Slam title winner is writing about her decision to end her 28-year professional career. She says, believe me, I never wanted to have to choose between tennis and a family. I don't think it's fair. If I were a guy, I wouldn't be writing this because I'd be out there playing and winning while my wife was doing the physical labor of expanding our family. Maybe I'd be more of a Tom Brady if I had that opportunity.
0: (laughs) love that. It's been a joy to watch her. Should we? Would it be corny if I tweeted, thank you, it's been a joy to watch?
9: No. Is that corny? It's not corny.
0: A little corny. A little bit? Huh. It's been a joy. I'm not going to tweet it. I'm just going to say it. Okay. She's been awesome to watch.
9: She has been. It's a great
0: story. Terrific. Hanging it up. Do you think she stays away? she coming back?
9: I don't know. I just think it's the whole thing is pretty interesting.
0: Two she, months from now? She's
9: pointing out that people <laughs> didn't realize she was two months pregnant when she was winning the Australian Open back in 2017. So she's turning mm. 41 this month, and something's got to give.
0: You know what? A little bit unfair to be out there and be pregnant. That's two against one.
9: <laughs> That's one way to see it.
0: <laughs> Number three in our five at five. Let's talk about the big news on the Pac-12 front. If you are a Pac-12 fan, you should be celebrating a little bit, or at least smiling today, as the Big Ten Conference and ESPN are apparently not on the same page when it comes to the Big Ten Conference's broadcast rights. ESPN backing out of the deal. They're out of the negotiation. It looks like the Big Ten's media rights packages will include Fox CBS and NBC for the first time in 40 years No, Big 10 basketball or football games on ESPN or ABC That leaves ESPN Slash Disney with a whole bunch of money to spend with the Pac-12 or the Big 12 So if you're a Pac-12 fan I'm not saying it's a best-case scenario because you don't have USC and UCLA in your stable right now But you have a willing bidder who's got a war chest in ESPN. It's a big development. Bob Thompson, the former president of Fox Sports Networks, said today on this show, I would be smiling if I were the Pac-12 conference, end quote. Anna, number four in our five at five.
9: Okay, I know you said there were fun things happening in sports. Of but course. This is not one of them.
0: Lift us up, Anna.
9: Uh I can't. Marshawn Lynch arrested for a DUI. His mugshot's out there now. He appears to be struggling to keep his eyes open. The former Seahawk was arrested in Las Vegas on Tuesday. Cops claim that he was driving under the influence. The police say that he was pulled over near the strip and uh around 725 in the morning on Tuesday. He was apparently driving into curbs on the side of the road before he was stopped. That's rough. He was jailed did not submit to a breathalyzer, but apparently had his blood drawn.
0: Way to bring us up. Sorry, I said happy. I know. I said, uh, you know, we were going to be, uh, we were going to talk about uplifting things in this segment.
9: I know. Sorry.
0: Well, I feel like I should play a Marshawn rant. How you
10: know. Luke. I mean, all week, I done told y'all what's up. And for some reason, y'all continue to come back and do the same thing that y'all did. I don't know what story y'all trying to get out of me. I don't know what image y'all trying to portray of me. But it don't matter what y'all think, what y'all say about me. Because when I go home at night, the same people that I look in the face, my family, that I love, (laughs) that's all I really, that matter to me. So y'all could go and make up whatever y'all want to make up, because I don't say enough for y'all to go and put anything out on. Me. But I'll come to y'all event, y'all shove cameras and microphones down my throat. But when I'm at home in my environment, I don't see y'all. <laughs> but y'all mad at me? And if y'all ain't mad at me, then what y'all here for?
0: Actually, I'm not mad. At- There's Marshawn Lynch. Remember when Marshawn wasn't talking? That's Marshawn. I hope he's okay. Five things we do at the Five at Five. Let's, Let's go to number five. A judge has rejected the bid by three golfers to compete in the FedEx Cup playoffs. Judge today denied the temporary restraining order to the uh, three golfers, Matt Jones, Hudson Swafford, and Taylor Gooch, who are seeking relief to participate in the first leg of those playoffs. They are among those who left the PGA Tour for the LIV Golf Invitational Series. U.S. District Judge Beth Freeman ruled that the players had not made their case of irreparable harm and agreed with the PGA Tour's position that the players' argument for emergency relief was of their own making. Basically, you made some decisions. Nobody forced you to go to the LIV Tour. Now, they are suspended, these three players, by the PGA. And the PGA Tour's lawyer, Elliot Peters, said, quote, they made a business decision to receive money. They have made, in the last two months, more money than they ever made on the PGA Tour. They've already been paid to compensate for what they are here complaining about. End quote. That is the Five at Five. Five best things going on in sports. Let's see. A couple of them are happy. Yeah, I was and then gonna say
9: that wasn't particularly true. The
0: last couple were downers. <laughs> Maybe we should
9: have planted the downers higher and
0: finished stronger.
9: Bad news first.
0: You know how do yeah. you do that in TV news? How do you decide what leads the news?
9: Um, it's just kind of the newsworthiness. It doesn't necessarily have to be bad or good. It's whatever is deemed the most. Newsworthy. Yeah, but
0: how do you de- how do you determine what's newsworthy? Because sometimes right. Isn't it about what story is going to demand and attract the most viewers and most attention?
9: Um, No, I mean, I think there's a variety of factors. Uh, There's the number of people that it's impacting. So often you'll see, obviously, at the top of a newscast, you know, a major crash on a bridge affecting, you know, rush hour traffic. That's affecting people and their ability to get home, that kind of thing. There's, There's varying factors. Home
0: invasions seem to be big on the top of the news, like, you know, scary stuff. Yeah. Home invasions, mayhem.
9: Yeah. You know? I mean, v- strong video drives a story toward the top. So, for example, a home invasion that has video, yeah. that will drive a story closer to the top.
0: All right. So, I'm going to ask Steven and Sean to help us out here with, with an issue that came up the other night, Anna. I want I want <laughs> you to tell me if I was in the wrong, guys, for doing this.
9: I can answer that. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking oh, about. Oh, I
0: know. I know you don't. Okay. So, the other night... Anna and I were – we we're, I, we were in Corvallis. Yeah. We were in Corvallis, and before we left town, we decided to grab a bite to eat for the road. Okay? So it was getting late, and Anna was like, I am craving chips and salsa. She was craving Mexican food. Anna and was right. So – Thank you. So we went through this 24-hour Mexican restaurant drive through that the place serves a good burrito. Okay? They really do. Yeah. I like the carne asada burrito. But Anna was kind of – it's kind of in that late-night cravings. You're going to eat something, and maybe your, your brain and your stomach aren't on the same page kind of thing. <laughs> Anna, I said to her, what do you want to order? She says, I want a couple of Lengua tacos. I want chips and salsa. Good. She was done right there. And then I said, okay, I'll get a carne asada burrito. And then the the guy on the other end of the intercom said, anything else? (laughs) And Anna had spied on the giant menu a dessert that said flan. Flan. Okay. Yes. She said, oh, I want flan. And I said, no, you're not getting flan. You're going to regret it. You're going you're gonna to order this, because I've been there with you. I know you. You're going to order it. You're going to eat your lengua tacos. You're going to eat your chips and salsa. And then you're going to go, why did I order this And <laughs> Then I'm going to be flan. like, gosh, you
9: know who would really round out this meal right now?
0: Some flan. So in my mind, I, I started off as a joke. I, it was a joke. It was a personal joke for myself, though. I started off going, when she said, oh, I want flan. I'm a, as the driver, I'm in this position where I am the relay person to the drive-through <laughs> guy. I said to her, no, you're not getting flaunt. But I was mostly kind of kidding just to see her reaction. Because who says no when somebody goes, I want to order something at the drive-through? And they go, no, you're not getting that. But I said, no, you don't need flan," And her reaction was to start laughing hysterically because <laughs> she had been denied her dessert. And so I... I thought it was so funny that I just said, okay, to hell with it. I'm going with it. And so I didn't tell you that. And so we arrive up at the window. She's still a little irked that she's not getting her flan. And I said, you know how that goes. About an hour from now, you're going to be like, why did I order that? Why no, did I eat I that? I gonna be
9: like, why did you let me order flan? Right.
0: So, guys, did I do the right thing in trying to regulate Anna's dessert habits Late night at a drive-thru.
6: I don't get the regret. Is it high caloric? Is it bad for the stomach? What What would have been kind the of regret? All of
9: all of the above.
6: Messy. It was too,
0: too much yeah. food. Messy. But yeah. see, the flip yeah. side of so, that
9: argument is that you're already eating lingua tacos and yeah. chips and salsa. It was about 11 o'clock at At 11.30 reminds, at night. Yeah, so at me. that point, you know. What's a little flan added to that? This
6: reminds me of the time that I went through the drive-thru like, Mexican food late at night. And you guys were good for not going to Taco Bell. And it sounds like you guys actually went to an authentic Mexican place. Went to place, authentic place, Not yep. Taco Bell. But uh, I just wrecked my favorite dress pants um, after a uh, – it's actually coming back from Stanford. Uh, we're driving back from Stanford. We went Stanford to Eugene. It was a night game. And we wait, went wait, Stanford wait. to Eugene in one night. You yeah. drove yeah. From,
0: from Palo Alto, California? Yeah.
6: To Eugene. Yeah, I think it was a twelve thirty kickoff. The game probably ended at around four. We got out of there around six. And then yeah, from like six to like two at 3 a.m. we did we did stand, we did Palo Alto to Eugene but anyways yeah Ryan who actually works for Fox Sports Eugene he's listening to the show right now he was with me uh so shout out to Ryan but uh no we we stopped for Mexican food and um yeah my pants just got ruined um cuz it was a pitch dark car and a moving and you car spilled oh, you spilled it all over you? Oh, spilled it all over my favorite dress that's pants
3: that's not how i thought I, they I were i thought ruined. you wrecked the backside
6: <laughs> oh no i just like Mexican just like food
9: and ruined pants i thought that was so dressing no. Grease, Grease
6: and yeah, you know, Long meat falling on the pants. Oh, so this is what that story reminds me of. But no, Rookie I think, mistake. I, you, you need right. to take
0: your shirt and your pants off when you eat your Mexican food in the car. <laughs> like everybody else does.
6: Yeah. Yeah, yeah with their friends. <laughs> what else? But <laughs> back to the main story. I take my here.
0: slacks off. I throw them over the back seat. Take my shirt off. I'm I'm in my boxer briefs eating my carne asada burrito.
3: <laughs> you got a bib on. You're
6: fine. <laughs>
0: Then if you spill, it's just, you just shower.
6: You know,
9: <laughs> you know what's not messy is fun.
6: <laughs> right. This doesn't look that messy. Are we talking like? Because um, I'm looking up the Google. I have the yeah. computer in front of me. Does it have like all that syrup under it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's like a you little know,
9: custardy. Kinda... That like then
6: your hands are all sticky. Like yeah. I can see why this is a bad idea.
9: Yeah, but I would just ah. ingest it in one mouthful. I, I even. <laughs> Take bites.
3: Yeah, I'm team man on this one. I think John's in the wrong. I, the, his heart was in the right spot. He had the right thinking. It, but you, know, you gotta let you gotta let people make their mistakes. You know what? And if she wants some flan at 11 p.m., let her have some flan.
0: You know, if Anna, if you were going to get on a motorcycle at midnight and without a helmet, and That's I said I would thing. say that I would have the same level of care for you. I would be like, no, this is That's not a good idea. When you went to order, and and by the way, I, I didn't call it flan when she ordered it. I called it flan. I said, you're not getting flan. It's <laughs> real American. Is it, yeah. That's
6: like a Mexican dessert. That's a dessert that they yeah. have. Okay, because yeah. I'm trying to picture this matching with a burrito well. I
0: know. But yeah. the, the thing was, you know, when you pull up at the drive-thru at this place, like a lot of the Mexican restaurants, they have a massive menu. I don't know what that is about. I grew up in a Hispanic community. My high school was more than 50% Hispanic. The restaurants where I grew up was the same thing. You could go in there and you could order chili verde and you could order a carne asada burrito and you could order, uh, you, you know, chorizo burrito and you could also get a hamburger yeah. and you could get a snow cone. Yeah. And you, and everything's on this giant menu. At this drive-through it was the same thing. It was like this huge menu. And then there's this picture of Flan right wow. there, right there in the middle of the menu. It was a picture of it. And so her eyes gravitated right to that little picture. You're hungry. I know how this goes, Anna. You eat your Lengua tacos. You eat your chips and salsa. And then you turn to me and go, why did you let me order this?
9: I should have vetoed you. I should have just yelled over your shoulder and ordered it anyway when the guy was like, anything else? I'll take some flan over here. (laughs)
0: Here's the best part. The place is a 24-hour restaurant. And Next time I'm in Corvallis, I'll look at the name of it. I'm blanking. Oh, there you go. Oh, Rivas. Oh, yeah. Yeah, That's big time. Rivas is great. It's really good. But here's the thing. The people who are working at this place, I'm just going to say this. it It's not the friendliest experience when you order. <laughs> I feel like, you know, in Seinfeld when they had this, like, the soup Nazi episodes, yeah. and he's like, yeah. no soup for you. Uh-huh. I kind of feel that way when I'm there, but their food is so tasty yeah. that I do it anyway. Maybe it's
9: just you. So, Maybe they're no, just treating you that This way.
0: is how bad it was, okay? <laughs> the time prior to you and I going through the drive-thru, yeah. I got up to the thing, I ordered carne asada burrito. I got up to the window. The guy, I heard the guy say, pollo asado. That's chicken. Mm-hmm. I said. To the chef? Like, like I heard him or... as he was ringing it. Like he was yeah. turning to me. He said, pollo asado. Mm-hmm. I said, carne asada. <laughs> and he said, he nodded and he went, yeah. But it was the way he looked at me. I knew he was lying. <laughs> like I knew there was a fair shot. I was about to get a chicken burrito. Okay. <laughs> so he handed it to me. I took cho- I didn't question it, but I took a bite and I went, bastard. <laughs> like, you know, it was true. It was a chicken burrito, but it the food's so good. They know didn't, you ordered kind of eh you get yeah. what I give you and you're gonna love it. Like, right. you know. Right. Except I didn't order flan.
9: And there we were, yeah like twenty four hours later. <laughs>
6: Well, it wasn't 24 hours, but it could have been. How late How late was this?
9: It,
0: 11.30 at night. It was yeah, late. That's yeah, that's the
6: thing. You know, you're going to get cranky employees. Like, you know, when I'm producing the Timbers, like Saturday night games, it's 10 o'clock. Suddenly, I'm not joking anymore. I'm not my joking self. I'm just getting in, getting out. That's how I, f- I kind of feel. Like, humor is off the table. Like, friendliness is off the table when you're working at 11.30 at night. Yeah,
0: that guy's working the graveyard. But the, it's just so funny because I order carne asada. I get up to the window. I... I I vaguely hear him say pollo asado. Yeah.
9: And there's that two and years I, of high school Spanish. And then I
0: go I go
9: carne asada, right?
0: And then he just looked at me our eyes met. <laughs> like we were negotiating on a used car lot. Our eyes met uh-huh. and he said, "Yeah." <laughs> and I went I went, "No." <laughs> I'm, I'm about, lying I'm straight about to, to your face. I'm about to get host, <laughs> and I'm okay with it. I don't have any carne be...
3: asada, but I'll give, you, I'll give you a pollo
0: asada. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you want to put in there, that's fine with me. All right, leave it here. You get the BFT.
1: Back to the Bald faced Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: Now everybody in the uh, flan industry is going to be mad at me. What is flan anyway? Is it custard? It says uh, caramel pudding or custard with a layer of sauce on it. That looks good too. That whole segment where we're talking about food do you guys get hungry when you start talking about food
6: yes and peter in the pulse he uh he always talks about what he makes at home and he like he he's really big into like sharing recipes on his show which is great but it always just makes me so hungry and uh when i do this job i you know i i leave for the train station around one o'clock and then i get home around eight so i'm pretty much you know i'm not eating for a while so yeah i do get hungry
3: yeah, definitely gonna get hungry. Flan. I've had flan before. Uh, it can be done really well, but it's definitely not my f- number one draft pick. If I'm going dessert, I'm not gonna go flan first, but it's a solid, yeah. solid pick.
0: Yeah, it, my my grandfather loved custard, and I was never a big custard. F- I'm a texture person, so I like foods that don't have like solid texture. Kind of bug me. So, you know, it's, but Anna, like her eyes were dancing and now I feel like, I feel bad.
3: Like, was it, you know,
0: is it my place to tell her no flan for you?
3: I, I, I think it's not your place. I think you got to let her make her mistakes. (laughs) Make your
0: own mistakes, lady. That's what I'm going to tell her next time.
3: Like she should know better, right? We all, we all think that we can, you know, have that last piece of pizza or anything like that. But Mm -hmm. like, we're going to force it and we're going to see what happens and, you know, roll the dice.
6: I think it's your place to say are you sure and then just make her think about it a little bit but maybe not your place to say absolutely yeah. not.
3: Well, reverse the roles here. What if what if she was ordering for you and she's like, "John, no, you can't have that." How would you, don't you feel? don't
6: need
0: that. Uh I would probably think she was trying to send me a message. Like I don't like, "Hey, enough dessert for you. Look at you, you slob. Go work out. Go for a run instead." You know. So
3: it was really more risky than you thought.
0: Yeah. But I, but my thought was I'm going to get in trouble for ordering this for her later. It's a lot of pressure to be the person, the driver, in a drive-thru scenario like that that isn't like a traditional give-me-a-number-six scenario. Like, you know, it's a little dicey, especially the, the time when I went through the drive-thru and I ordered the carne asada burrito and I got chicken. But you know what? Here's the thing. Here's how good it was. I took a bite of that chicken burrito. I didn't turn around and go back through the drive-thru and say, hey, you gave me a wrong one. No, no, no. I just devoured it. Cause it's so good. He knew what so, he was doing. I should just pull up to the window and go, you know, chef's choice, and go up to the go up and pay for whatever they give me.
3: The mystery meat.
0: Uh, yeah. Do you guys think the mystery meat? Do you guys think like there was a big deal? This was a big deal years and years ago when stadiums started serving different kinds of foods that were non-traditional, like you know, the hot dog hamburger get your cold beer here, sack of peanuts, chocolate malt, whatever was served in like my childhood suddenly shifted and they were serving sushi and burritos and garlic fries at the stadium. I feel like that is one of the great advancements in the sports viewing experience that has happened in my lifetime, that stadiums got better, your, your stadium experience maybe got better, the food got better, it didn't get cheaper. Maybe they could do something about that because all this TV money that's pouring into the NBA, Major League Baseball, NFL. But the advancements with food and stadium cuisine
3: have been phenomenal. Phenomenal. What are your thoughts on, like, the interesting foods, right? You know, like Seattle has the crickets that they sell that you can eat. We went to a mirror game a couple years ago, got the crickets. I wasn't a big fan, but I wanted to try them. Like, what do you think of those type of things?
0: I think it's so novelty-driven. It's like – When Anna and I were in uh, Beijing for the Olympics in 2008, you know, we went to the night market and you could get scorpion on a stick. You could get, you know, all kinds of exotic, weird foods. We noted, and since she speaks Mandarin, she started talking to the vendors and the vendors were essentially laughing at all the tourists who were eating like crickets and scorpions and all these weird foods. But it wasn't the locals; like the people who lived in Beijing were not dining at the night market. And so, I kind of feel like there is a little bit of that going on. Hey, it's Mm -hmm. a novelty. I went to a baseball game and I ate a cricket.
3: Gotcha,
6: John. Here is my question for you: What's the uh, the, your favorite Pac twelve football stadium uh, like? Media food, Mm -hmm. like you know, everyone has like their buffets in the media section. What's what's the Uh, best one?
0: That's hard. Um, That's really hard. Uh, I think I think Arizona State does a nice job. I think I, – I just like different press boxes in general have different feels. Like the press box at Rice Eccles Stadium in Salt Lake City has this beautiful big window off the back, and you can look at the mountains uh, with all the snow on it in Salt Lake. Like in the horizon, you can see like the ski resort mountains and all that in the horizon. It's just gorgeous. They do a nice job with the spread, but it's more the view. Tucson is interesting because the, the stadium side of the press box isn't that impressive. It really is behind the times. but if you go out the back of the press box they kind of have a balcony on the back and there's no better view like of the desert in the setting sun than from Wildcat Stadium, Arizona Stadium uh, to, you know where the wildcats are and seeing the sunset over the desert. Um, Colorado has a nice stadium. Um, I think I think it's gonna be really interesting to see what Oregon State does because I think they were one of the worst press boxes in the conference. You know, it was just really outdated on the uh, you know the west side of the stadium. The whole west side of the stadium looked like it was from 1950, including that press box elevator. It was embarrassing a few years ago when the coaches at Oklahoma State got stuck in the elevator. Remember that they couldn't get back to the press box.
3: I do remember that. Yeah,
0: that was embarrassing. So I think it'll be interesting to see what um, what happens with the stadium experience at Oregon State. But but here's the thing: like I've talked to some of the universities, like. You really are, like, this shouldn't be your highest priority, but years ago I covered the Niners and I covered the Raiders at the same time. I was the NFL writer at the San Jose Mercury News, so I bounced between the the, the Raiders and the Niners, like, week to week. So I'd be at Candlestick one week and I'd be at the Oakland Coliseum another week. It was really interesting to me to see the differences in how the franchises treated media. The 49ers rolled out the red carpet. The food spread included like a buffet. They had a guy that had a carving station. They, you know, when you showed up to your seat, they had the game program and the roster and all these game notes like were set neatly on your, on your, uh, your desk. And it was, it, it really did leave you feeling like this is a first class organization. It's a, such a small thing, right? It, you know, relative to the expense of an NFL franchise. But I, The Raiders were the opposite. You would show up at the Coliseum. They stuck you in, like, the worst parking lot because, you know, they were like, you know, it's media. They're not paying for it. Let's stick them in this bad parking lot. Then you get up to the press box, and they have a stack of programs. Take one if you want one. Uh, Then at halftime, they would serve you a hot dog, and it was like this giant box. It was like a cardboard box with a bunch of hot dogs in it from the concession stand. And they'd be like, here's the media meal for halftime. And it really left you feeling like the Raiders didn't have their act together. And I've shared that with other, like, Pac-12 schools. And I said, you know, it's such a stupid little small thing. But I think if you treat the media members a little better, it makes them believe you have your act together in this weird sort of brand way. And it could be, and I gave the Raiders Niners example. It was like, you know, the, it wasn't that the Raiders didn't know what they were doing. It's that the Raiders went, hey, the media... They're getting a free ride here. They're not paying for these tickets, not paying for these meals. Like, why should we treat them well? And the opposite was true of the Niners because the Niners just went, we realized that, you know, casting a good favorable impression on these media members is really important to our brand. And I really am interested in how, like, you guys have been around. You've been at stadiums. You've seen what the Blazers do and others do. I think the way that media get treated by the teams does shadow sort of – or does kind of shade the coverage that the team gets
6: that that leads me into another question the uh you had chip towers on the show yesterday uh the georgia beat writer and he's taking a visit to eugene just to provide coverage about the ducks for georgia fans and it seems like george uh oregon super accommodating to like kind of a guest reporter um do you think that that kind of has something to do with it like just trying to kind of shine a positive light on the program for georgia fans
0: I think yes. I think they know that matters. I think they know the Atlanta Journal Constitution has a big readership. I think, um, you know, I think, look, even, you know, in the case of this radio show, I do think that the entities in this state know that we're the only statewide sports radio show. I think they know that more people are listening to us. And by virtue of that, I do think that they tend to give us guests that the other shows don't get. And, uh, you know, we're not the flagship station of the Ducks. We're not the flagship station of the Beavers. But all football season, it's Jonathan Smith and Dan Lanning every week. Like, you know, they know that this show is is vital to them. In the same way that Oregon probably recognizes Chip Towers in the Atlanta Journal Constitution, it behooves them to treat him well and show him hospitality because he's going to be speaking to a couple hundred thousand people who read him. So I think, you know, I think that's that's an important distinction. Uh, leave it here. you got the BFT statewide.
1: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: I got big plans this college football season. I want to share some of it. Uh, today, uh, we are... I think like 23 days away from the season opener for the Oregon Ducks uh, as Oregon will be traveling to Atlanta, Georgia to play uh, the defending national champion Georgia Bulldogs September the 3rd. I think it's more like 24 days, 23, 24 days away. But this radio show will be live from Atlanta in the run-up to that game. So we will be all over it. I believe we'll start broadcasting Wednesday or Thursday from Atlanta. We'll be on location. We'll get Chip Towers on the show in person. We'll get a lot of flavor of Georgia, you know, Vince Dooley, all that stuff, part of the show. Um, Throughout this college football season, we'll have Dan Lanning, the Oregon football coach, on regularly. We will also have Jonathan Smith, the Oregon State football coach, on regularly. I love having those coaches on. I also like getting players on the show. Noah Sewell, the great linebacker at Oregon, is going to be a frequent guest this season. I've been in contact with him a little bit, talking about how often he wants to come on. I think he wants a little bigger footprint, a little bigger brand for himself. And I think he knows that part of getting to you is getting on this show. So I appreciate him for being interested in that, and Jaden Grant, uh, the team captain at Oregon State, will join us throughout the season, among others from Oregon State. I still want to get quarterbacks on this show, but nobody will name a starting quarterback until game week. We're like 23, 24 days away from kickoff. I think we are about 19 or 20 days away from somebody naming a starter at quarterback. It's going to be Bo Nix at Oregon. It's going to be Chance Nolan at Oregon State. It's going to be Michael Penix Jr. at Washington. Everybody's playing the same game. Washington, Kalen DeBoer won't name his quarterback because he wants to keep the number two and number three quarterbacks from jumping in the portal. And I'm guaranteeing you that the Mountain West Conference schools that love to poach those Pac-12 quarterbacks that jump in the portal, Jake Hayner being one of them, uh, going from Washington to Fresno State, uh, I guarantee you that the Mountain West Conference schools are looking at the portal going, okay, how long until somebody's number two quarterback jumps in, jumps in there or gets urged in there, and Bo, by the way, some NIL money coming your way. So, among other things, we'll do that. Uh, college football season's going to be a lot of fun on this show. I'm going to be out writing. Uh, I'm writing my column now exclusively at johnkanzano.com. I'll be at the Georgia-Oregon game in week one. I will, uh, I'm will. i leaning heavily towards week two being at the Fresno State-Oregon State game in Fresno, uh, especially if Oregon State wins the season opener. I'm starting to look at the season and go, okay, where are the big games? Where are the opportunities? And i got to be honest with you, it's not as easy as it was a few years ago. Oregon State's making it harder because there are some big games for Oregon State. Uh, you know, In particular, Oregon State's got a big game against USC early in the season at home, that is uh, going to be a fantastic opportunity for Oregon State. It's coming in week four as Oregon State will host USC at Research Stadium on September 24th. Oregon State, by the way, is uh, now telling media that it believes that every home game this season will be a sellout. They only have 26,000 plus seats available, so they're at about half capacity. But Oregon State is saying that there are very few tickets left for the USC game. There are very few tickets left for several other home games. I think there are about 1,500 tickets left for some of their later season games. But if you're an Oregon State fan who wants to see Oregon State football games, uh, you're going to have to either buy tickets on the secondary market or you're going to have to win them on this show. I'll be giving them away just about every week that they have a home game right here on this show and I'll probably be giving them away to people who uh, are free or paid subscribers at johnconzano.com as well, so another reason to get a subscription. But, guys, I'm excited. Hey, 23, 24 days from now, we're going to get to see a football game play.
3: I'm psyched, man. I I, I don't know if I've been more excited about a college football season just because you know I, I like the realignment talk. It's interesting, but I'm ready for the games to start. I'm ready to talk about more things that are on the field that I can just see and I can grasp get a hold of it. So, yeah, I mean, 23 days, man, I can't wait.
6: I'm going to be honest. I'm getting more and more excited about uh, Oregon as well. I just the more I look at the roster, there's some new players that have uh, entered my radar. Um, I'm just uh, I'm pretty giddy. I'm just as the season goes closer, I'm more and more giddy about this Ducks team.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's going to be interesting because I'm trying to temper my expectations for year one for Dan Lanning, but I'm looking at the conference and you know outside of Utah, there's nobody who's built there in this conference. There's nobody built to win 10 games as a no-brainer. So I think it's going to really come down to who stays healthy and who can really coach. And I think, you know, we're going to find out pretty quickly if Dan Lanning can coach. And it's not going to be the season opener for Oregon. But like, you know, week three, BYU is at Oregon on September 17th. That's a big one. And week four, Oregon goes to Pullman. And we have seen even a Mario Cristobal team that went to Washington State and lost early in his tenure, went to Arizona and lost. Like Those were indicators, I think, that Cristobal was going to struggle with game management and X's and O's and game planning a little bit more than he struggles with recruiting.
3: No, definitely, and I agree with you. I think game one, we're not going to learn much about Dame Landon as a coach. We're I mean, sure I- about that? Unless Oregon just pulls off an upset and they just look unbelievable, I don't, I don't expect that to happen. So I don't, I don't think I'm really going to learn too much from that. I think it's the BYU game because I think that should be a win for the Ducks. The Ducks rec- out recruit BYU. That's a game if Oregon wants to be on that college football playoff level. They got to get those type of games and get a good win on your resume. So I, I think that BYU game is huge uh, for Oregon this season.
6: Yeah, I mean, I know Georgia recruits with the best, and uh, that they're. Obviously one of the title favorites, but I know they have a lot of question marks on their team right now, or at least a lot of new players that are obviously five stars and as talented as it gets. But I think, you know, they're not, they're not the team that they were last year. And um, John, listening to your interview with Dan Lanning at Pac-12 Media Day a couple of weeks ago, it sounded like he was pretty, I mean, every coach is going to be optimistic, right? But it sounds like he was kind of the mindset of like, watch, watch, like just, you know, wait and see. We're going to prove some people wrong in that game.
0: And look, season openers, I I don't think if Oregon and Georgia play ten times, I think Georgia probably wins nine of them, uh, you know, and probably wins by double digits in a lot of those games and may cover the spread in some of those games. It's an 18-point spread. But I think it's a little bit of an advantage to Oregon that this game is the season opener. Weird stuff happens. 2004. LSU, the number 4 ranked team in America, is opening their season at home against Oregon State. That game ended up 22-21 LSU, and everybody remembers Alexis Cerna misses an extra point, and that's the that's how the game goes. Cerna's extra point cost Oregon State a chance to be tied with LSU. So, I think weird things happen, squirrely things happen in early season games, and if you're you know, building a case for Oregon to play close to Georgia, I think you, you, uh, you present that as Exhibit A. Exhibit B, Dan Lanning coming from Georgia to Oregon presents, um, you know, a guy who knows some state secrets. He'll know some weaknesses. He'll, uh, you know, I don't know if he is going to be able to exploit them, but Oregon's running into a Georgia team that is going to be more athletic, more physical and more experienced, in some cases, in big games. And this game's on the road. So there's some stuff stacked against Oregon. I don't expect Oregon to win this game. I, last year, I crawled out on a limb. I predicted Oregon would beat Ohio State. People said I was crazy. It happened. Uh, you know, uh, It was like a week later, I predicted Oregon State would beat USC. It happened. I'm not doing that here. And, but I felt good about those games because I had watched a little bit of USC. I knew they weren't physical. I thought Oregon State could run on them. They did. I watched Ohio State play Minnesota in the opener last year. I was not impressed with Ohio State's linebackers or their physicality at the point of attack. And I thought, gosh, if Oregon can run the ball, they're in this game. I don't feel that way about this game with Georgia. I feel like Georgia's a favorite, but I, I, if I have to bet this game, I'm taking Oregon plus 18 because it's week one and you're giving me 18 points, I'll take it.
3: I'm on the opposite side of you, John. I think right now if I'm betting I'm taking Georgia, and I think it's just because of the unknowns. And I like Dan Lanning as the person. I think they can't get any worse than on-field management that it was with Mario Cristobal with Dan Lanning. So I think it could get better from there. I just think right now Georgia has so much familiarity with their coaching staff. It's going to be in Georgia. I mean, I just think Georgia's going to – I think Oregon's going to have a hard time scoring on Georgia, where I know that Georgia doesn't have the best offense and Oregon has a good defense – but, I, I mean, I see the game a lot being 31-14. Like, can the Ducks score 14 points? I don't know about that.
6: Yeah, I. Uh, what worries me about this game is going to be the skill guys on Oregon's side. Because you look at the skill guys and a lot of their key contributors at the running back, tight end, wide receiver position are going to be super young guys. But the more I look at this roster, I notice guys like Caleb Chapman, like Chase Cota. They did bring in, you know, there's a couple of running backs that are that are some, have some experience. So they did bring in some experienced guys that I think are going to be pretty valuable. I mean, Caleb Chapman, he's been getting a lot of buzz at Oregon's camp. He came over from Texas A&M, you know. Chase Cota, uh, Pac-12 experience. He hasn't really played a lot of SEC teams, but you know he at UCLA. I think what they played LSU last year, so like he has some experience under his belt too. So uh, you know, I'm just kind of talking myself into Oregon plus 18. And you know, I think the week, the week pri- the week before the game, I think. I think I'm going to set up and watch that game and be kind of excited as a Duck fan. Like, can we do this, maybe? You know, I, I doubt it, though.
0: Well, that's what college football does to you. Like, I, you know, I don't blame, you know, you went to Oregon. Not, you've, got a, you've got a dog in this fight. I don't think Oregon can win this game. And, and, and we've seen some disastrous coaching debuts. Chip Kelly at Boise State, you know, it, it, it didn't go pretty and we watched Mario Cristobal early in his 10 years first Pac-12 game he mismanaged into a loss against Stanford that should have been a win. So I think there are some there are some instances here where we've seen coaches who underperformed in their first game. So I don't blame people who go, "Hey, look, I don't have any proof of performance. I'm not I'm not wagering on a coach that hasn't coached a game before." But week 1 is a weird week. You get teams that just aren't like coaches will tell you biggest improvement is what week one to week two because week one it's a lot of chaos and i just wonder if that's an equalizer in in oregon's case leave it here you got the bft
1: you've got the home of the truth back to the bald-faced truth with john canzano on 750 the game
0: Peter Sampson coming up, top of the hour here in Portland on 7.50 of the game. If you're not listening to the pulse, you're missing out. What would you do without a pulse? You'd fall over. Make sure you stick around. Peter Sampson will light it up here coming up in a few minutes. He's always good. He's always fun. He likes to have a good time. I don't know what's in your glass. I don't know what you're eating. But Peter Sampson is going to make you salivate and make you think about sports. Stick around. How did I do
3: there? My it did own. great. I, I'm i sold. I'm hungry, thirsty, and I want sports now. <laughs> that did, should be the promo. <laughs> hungry, thirsty, sports, Peter Sampson.
0: Now, I got a friend who settled the flan debate for me.
3: Uh, okay, he, I want to hear this.
0: He texted me and he said, what time was it when you were ordering the flan? For people who don't know, Anna tried to order flan in the drive-thru of a Mexican restaurant, and I said no. I said, that's where I draw the line. And... Uh, he said I said it was eleven thirty and he goes, Nobody wants eleven thirty flawn. That's it. So if if it's if it's a normal time of day. But you know how it is, you don't go
3: shopping when you're hungry. You start buying stuff. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I I just you know I just feel like if my wife would have told me that I'm like, "Hey, can I get dessert?" and she's like, "No." No. I'm like, "I don't I don't agree with this." So, for that reason, that reason only, I I think I'm on Team Anna still.
0: All right. There you go. Not
3: but you again, it. you had the best of intentions. Your heart was full of love. I don't but... know if it
0: was. I I think it was <laughs> I think it was kind of amusing to me because I thought, "What as she said, "Oh, I want to get Flan." I thought, "What if I said no? What if I just was like, "No?" You can't have flan. I mean, that so is I,
3: true. I can't even imagine doing that. Like, <laughs> so uh, I, did it. It was,
0: uh, I did it. It was 1130 courage. And I went, nah, you're not getting it. And her reaction was not to get mad. She started laughing hysterically. And I thought, okay, I'm going with this. This is going to be my answer. It's my final answer. She's not getting flan. If she wants to get flan, she's going to have to get out of the car. she going to to order on foot in the drive-thru. And nobody's going to do that. They're going to take her order. So there it is.
3: Now but would you, you do what? that to one of your kids?
0: I know. Well, you know what? she got a birthday coming up. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get her a whole big old, what do we call it? A What's a flan? Is it cake? Is it a pie? What is it?
3: Yeah, I'd say more of a pie, custard, like you said.
0: Yeah, so I'll get her the whole one, and then she can have the whole thing to herself. That's what you're getting. Happy birthday. You get your flan. So I've decided that here. We are back tomorrow with another great show. I appreciate everybody who's along for the ride. The Bald Face Truth, not here for a long time, just a good time. Get the podcast, make sure you share it with friends, and, of course, stick around for Peter Sampson and The Pulse. He's coming up next. He does a fantastic job. He's going to have fun, and he's going to feed you, and that's what Peter Sampson does. Leave it here.